You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome everybody once again to the Oz Network, a film episode of the Oz Network. It's been a while since we've done one of these and it's exciting to be back to talk to you about one of the greatest films that has never been talked about on podcasts before. It's so exciting that we're laughing already. The 1999 hit film Blast from the Past, starring Brendan Fraser, Alicia Silverstone, Christopher Walken, Sissy Spacek, Dave Foley, and Joey Slotnick. Before we get into it... Joey Slotnick! Joey Slotnick! Our friend! We can say that, because he totally (laughs) is. Uh, My name is Ben, and I can get you laid in two weeks, but to find you a non-mutant wife from Pasadena... Pasadena, Pasadena, might take some time. And I'm Colin, and oh, my lucky stars, an Australian. <laughs> you did that well. For some reason, I start calling it Pasadena. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said, oh, my lucky stars, a Pasadenian. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I wanted to open with, and I don't know if it would have even been funny, but I was going to go with, oh, boy, a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see to get more laughs than my other one. Uh, we, we can start again. There are a thousand <laughs> lines like that in this movie that we could have used. I wish we could do... I wish people could see us, and I would attempt to do the stupid hand-clicking, pointing thing that they do in this movie, which we'll talk about. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny. Before we even start here, I was just telling my wife like about an hour ago... I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be a longer episode or shorter than our regular ones, because it's not like we're going to sit here and talk about the story. It's just going to be every single one-liner from the movie repeated with us laughing for five minutes in between. Because uh, yeah, you and I were talking about this, like, oh, you know, there's probably a fair bit in this film we can just kind of gloss over. It's not scene by scene, but... Yeah, this this movie's got a lot of stuff in it. I mean, we're into this... How long are we into this for? Like, two minutes, and we're already cracking up laughing. We haven't even talked about anything yet. <laughs> Um, we love this film. We're not doing this in any sort of reference to the fact this is a terrible film or anything. This is a great film. We, we, when we actually came up with the idea for the Oz Network to kind of spin it off from Survivor Oz, include films, TV shows, and all that sort of stuff, one of the things that Colin and I really came up with that we were excited for were the films of Brendan Fraser, all right? Like, probably the only podcast in 2017 to date this that has ever gotten excited to go back over the Brendan Fraser, you know, filmography. But, I mean, it would just randomly come up in some other, I think it was some Bond episodes we did and everything else in between. So, this was always one. I think it was this and Bedazzled were, like, the ones that were like, oh, my God, we have to do them. And yeah. so this kind of definitely obviously came about in, um, you know, correlation with our Joey Slotnick interview, downloaded now via iTunes and Stitcher and all that. Um, and, of course, we will eventually turn this into sort of a Brendan Fraser rewatch, you know, Bedazzled, The Mummy, George of the Jungle, Dudley Do-Right, uh, Encino Man, you know, all these ones. We're going to do them eventually. But right now, Colin, this is the perfect one, I feel, to start with, Blast from the Past. Uh, yeah, I mean... I've always been a huge Brendan Fraser fan. I'm not always, you know, when I was three years old, I don't think anyone knew where he was. He was, um, I did going to school somewhere in Canada here, but, um, but yeah, I mean, from Encino man on, I, I was a, as a little kid, I was obsessed with Bill and Ted. And I remember when Encino man came out, I just felt like this is the first thing I've seen that feels like Bill and Ted to me, except it's a caveman. And I watched that movie so many times and, you know, even as a kid, when he started following that up with dramatic movies, like With Honors and School Ties, I would watch those movies over and over again. Like, I just, I always loved Brendan Fraser. So when he 
got into these like dumb comedies in the 90s i mean it was fantastic because he has so much personality so much charisma and there really isn't anybody else who can play this you know boy scout dopey boy scout character better than him and he's kind of the last guy you would assume would play something like this you know he's like six foot three big muscular but this is i think the movie that that is like the most perfectly written role for Brendan Fraser. Cause I assume Brendan Fraser in real life probably is a lot like Adam Weber. <laughs> well, it's kind of like when we've done the Smallville episodes, how we're like, look, Tom Welling can't act, but he's so charming and nice. And you just love Tom Welling. Cause you know, he's a nice guy, you know, Clark Kent, what a nice, I feel it's kind of like Brendan Fraser, but Brendan Fraser can act. And Brendan mm-hmm. Fraser, I guess I don't know. I, I put him higher than Tom Welling, not that hard. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I guess my perspective of him is, like, I probably didn't really see him, you know, I'm a bit younger than you, Colin, but I, I was probably, you know, George of the Jungle was the first one, but then, of course, this came along, Dudley Do-Right, uh, you know, the Mummy series, Bedazzled. Then he obviously obviously went into be, like, Journey in the Centre of the Earth and the, and the Looney Tunes movie. Like, for me, as a kid in that age, it's like, Brendan Fraser is in, like, everything awesome. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, it was just to me, it was like, this guy is the best. And then, like, I remember, I think the first time I saw him in, like, a dramatic role was Crash. And, I mean, that's a film that mm. both you and I love. I think we're the only ones that like that film, even though it did win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but apparently that was a wrong decision, according to everyone since. Um, but, yeah. Look, if Brendan Fraser were making love to Terrence Howard in that movie, it would have won Best Picture, too. <laughs> yes. And let's be honest, we all want to see that. It's, um, <laughs> it's just, he's just such a, he's just the guy you just want to hang out with. Like, you know, he hasn't done much in the last few years, but who cares? This is what we watch this film. And you're just like, oh, that Brendan Fraser, you know, like, he's just the best. He's swell, Colin. He's swell. I just want to go back to what you said. You're like, as a child, you're like, he's in everything that's awesome, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because. I mean, that that really it was the audience he captured, you know, during the 90s was doing these kids' movies like George of the Jungle. Uh, you could even count Encino Man in there, too. Uh, Dudley Do-Right and everything, Looney Tunes. But nowadays, it's unfair. And this is one of the reasons I think we wanted to do Brendan Fraser movies is because he's developed this reputation where people are like, Brendan Fraser, he's in everything that's awful because <laughs> they'll mention George of the Jungle, Dudley Do-Right, Bedazzled and all these things like it's a different time period. And that's what people forget. The 90s was a different time period. And the other thing I find interesting about Blast from the Past is whereas most comedies from the 90s, their reputation diminishes with time where people are like, yeah, that's really dated now. With Blast from the Past, it feels like it's the opposite. When it came out, people were like, it's such an average movie. And now people are looking on it, you know, those who go around to watching it again, and they're like, it's a really good movie. And, you know, its reviews have held up. It's IMDb deep. IMDB Pasadena rating (laughs) (laughs) improved from where it was I remember like about 10-15 years ago so I think this is a movie if people actually get around to watching it they're going to realise this movie ages a lot better than most 90s comedies do I find that funny with 90s comedies how that happens I mean I think it's it's kind of weird actually when you you see these things say about someone like Jim Carrey and they're kind of like ah You know, it's kind of be the opposite with his 90s movies. They're, they're sort of more highly regarded now. I mean, I remember in the 90s as a huge Jim Carrey fan just how much movie... Like, a lot of people say, like, oh, his movies are dumb. Like, you know, they're, they're funny in that, but, you know, they're not that good of a film. But now people talk them up. It's like, oh, how great is The Mask? 
And like, I remember when that came out, people were like, this is kind of dumb. But now everyone treats it like it's one of the greatest comedies of all time. I'm not complaining. But, um, you know, it's, well, it's interesting with this film that you say that because, yeah, this, and we'll talk about this, it wasn't exactly the most successful film. Uh, but, you know, it seems to be one of these ones that, yeah, when people remember it and watch it, it, it kind of does get a bit more uh, praise than I think it did, you know, nearly 20 years ago. If I could throw a theory out there, and this is getting into intellectual theories on the films of Brendan Fraser a little bit early in this series, but uh, for one, I think it's the 60s culture. At the time in the 90s, I don't think a lot of movies or TV shows were really doing that. I mean, it's, it's this weird thing where I feel like 20 years ago is always what's cool now. So during the 90s, you know, the, the 70s culture was cool. And during, you know, the early 2000s, it was the 80s culture. And now people are looking back on the 90s. And it's really just about the people who grew up during that time period being the adults now. But the 60s wasn't really a big thing in the 90s. And maybe it's now because of, like, TV shows like Mad Men, where a lot of these 60s jokes and everything are, are going over better. But I think the other thing is that at the time this movie came out, it was a, a, a movie made in the 90s about modern day that was satirizing the 60s. But looking at it now in 2017, you almost look at it in two ways. You see areas where it's a satire of 1999, mm. even though it wasn't intended to be at the time. You know, uh, A lot of the, Alicia Silverstone's character, and this is an area where I think her character improves with time, just how cynical she is about everything and always complaining everything. Like, that's a 90s thing. And it almost comes across funny now when you look at it. She's so 90s, <laughs> complaining about everything. Well, it is Alicia Silverstone. It, I mean, that's just general so 90s thing anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She perfectly fits the role now, yes. not so much then. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that would be an interesting theory on why this movie works better, because now you can look out in two areas and you're like, it's a satire of the 60s. It's also a satire of the 90s. Well, one thing, too, that uh, kind of going back to what I was saying about how we would like to sort of do a series of Brendan Fraser films, another thing that we want to do here on the Oz Network is kind of compare films, I guess, are released around the same time that were sort of, you know, the same. Like, you know, obviously you had the great volcano movies of Dante's Peak versus Volcano and the great, you know, asteroid movies. <laughs> this is the only podcast where you're going to refer to the great volcano movies of. <laughs> because they were great and they are great, all right? I stand by that fact, okay, Colin? Uh, you know, DP Armageddon, but I mean, I think kind of in reference to this one, a year earlier we had uh, Pleasantville released, and you know, they're they're vastly different films in the way also that they're also similar. I mean, I guess Pleasantville's more of a drama than Blast in the Past. Still got comedic elements in it, but it's still got that kind of throwback, doesn't it? And this that was, I think, more 50s rather than 60s, but um, it was, I mean, it's still similar. The 90s satirizing the 50s, and in this is the 90s satirizing the 60s. So, yeah, there's similarities between them, for sure. And also, given the fact that we want to talk up the films of Brendan Fraser, we also want to talk up the films of Tobey Maguire. So it kind of works (laughs) out well that two people that I am huge fans of in Tobey Maguire and Brendan Fraser have kind of disappeared in 2017. We want to talk them up and realise how awesome they are. Hashtag, Tobey Maguire is a better Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that when we cover the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> it's all working uh, out well. Long. It's all working out well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, in other words, you can tell we're excited to talk about Blast from the Past. As I mentioned, it was released in 1999, February the 12th, to be precise, Um and, yeah, the cast in this, obviously, we're talking about Brendan Fraser, Alicia Silverstone. We'll talk a lot about her, because something that hasn't been done in 20 years. Um, Christopher, 
Christopher Walken. Well, if you listen to 007, then you'll clearly know we've talked about him before. And uh, only can a James Bond villain somehow turn into this guy. Um, <laughs> which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, Sissy Spacek. I can't say her name without a list. I'm sorry. I just can't Sissy do it. Sissy Spacek from Pasadena. <laughs> Just can't do Actually, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dave Foley, and of course, as I mentioned, uh, Joey Slotnick. And again, a large reason why we're also doing this is to connect in the fact that we did Twister, Joey Slotnick. We interviewed Joey Slotnick. We're doing Nip Tuck, Joey Slotnick, and now Brendan Fraser. It's now called Joey Slotnick Network, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, just your history with this film, Colin. I mean, you you go to the movies a lot. Uh, did you see this in the movies? I mean, you might have been around that age where you could have seen this yeah. in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I saw this opening day. And do you have the release date for this movie? Uh, yeah. Because Feb- I remember it coming out around my birthday. February 12, 1999, according to what I'm looking at right now. Okay. So, yeah, not not as close to my birthday as I thought. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have seen this one twice because I do remember watching it on my birthday, but I also remember being there opening weekend because I just thought that the movie looked hilarious. It was such a cool idea. And this is something that that's missing with modern comedies as well. This was a very original idea. You know, people talk about there's no original ideas in movies. People were saying that in the 90s, but if you go back to 90s comedies, they may be dumb. They may be kind of brainless in ways, but they were original ideas. And yeah. I love the idea of this movie and the you know, this kid in a bomb shelter growing up, and it just looked hilarious. So I remember seeing it when it first came out. and It's, it's one of these movies that every time I watched it, I liked it more. So whereas when I first saw it, I'm like, yeah, that was a really good movie. And then when it came out on DVD or whatever, you know, I was watching it more. And I think I recorded it off of one of the movie channels that was on TV uh, like a year later. And my brother and I used to just watch this all the time. And it's funny because the more time passed, the more this movie just became like a normal thing to put on in the background or, you know, once a week or whatever. And it's so funny that still to this day, this movie's 18 years old now. And... I can't tell you how many times watching this, I was like, oh, I've quoted that line a million times, <laughs> even with the last year, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's not the type of movie you should normally be quoting, and people don't get the quotes when you're saying it, but it's just, it's one of these things that, that between my brother and I, we just started quoting this nonstop. And I, I think the last time I saw this was a few years ago. I had it, like, on my VHS or whatever, but never had the DVD and it was maybe about five years ago my wife got this for me for my birthday just because she had never seen it and I was talking about the movie all the time and quoting the movie probably. And she's like, well, let me just go find this movie and buy it for you. <laughs> and I hadn't seen it in five years. So to watch it now for the first time in five years, I was actually surprised you know, how I think this movie does hold up just as well uh, as I thought it would. It's, it's, I probably like it more now than I did when it first came out. It's fun to think now that uh, if this movie was Australian, it could now drink alcohol legally and also vote. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's 18. Yeah, I mean, I, I never saw it in the movies, uh, but I think it was one of these ones that I randomly just, you know, rented or it was on TV or something sort of, you know, as a teenager. And then it just, it's one of these films I find that, I mean, you, you kind of have films that you like, but you can easily go a long time without seeing, and you kind of watch, oh, yeah, I remember why I like this, but you can, I guess, become a bit more critical of it over the years as you grow up. But this is one of the ones that I just always love, and it's just kind of, you know, I've, I've owned this for a long time, and I think I actually probably would have watched this in the last uh, 12 months. I believe I think when one of the times I was travelling last year, I put this on my tablet and I watched it when I was like on a plane or something like that. But it's just, it is one of these ones that I find myself just randomly like, oh, I love that movie, I'm going to watch it. Um, or it'll be late, you know, late night TV, like one o'clock in the morning. Like, oh fuck, I love this movie. 
Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just think this is a great film. I remember, uh, um, one of my friends coming to stay over once and he's going through my DVDs and he's like, oh, what's this film? And I'm like, oh, you've got to watch it. It's awesome. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And so my profile picture on Skype before I put this other one up, uh, was a picture of, we'll get to the scene when they're dancing and he's, when Brendan Fraser's doing the whole finger waving thing. And I remember yeah. when I showed my friend this film, for days afterwards, he would just walk around doing this finger-waving thing, like, going, who am I? Who am I? Because he just loved the scene when Brendan Fraser was <laughs> waving his finger around. I'm like, okay, cool. Yep, that's the scene you want to remember, but sure. Um, so, uh, Yeah, I've, I'm just going to tease. When we do get to that scene, I've got a fun story to tell for that, too. It's just, yeah, it's just one of these films that is just awesome. And I'm actually just looking here. So, directed uh, Hugh Wilson. Uh, good old Hugh. We love Hugh. Uh, the same guy behind Dudley Do Right. Uh, <laughs> he also, I guess, best known for Police Academy, uh, but other such hits as The First Wives Club and Down Periscope. That is an underrated film from 1996, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, what are we going to do that year? The First on. Wives Club or Down Periscope? <laughs> I just wanted to point something else out, and I don't think it's a name that everybody would pick up on, but it is a fairly famous director. Hugh Wilson co-produced this movie with a guy named Rennie Harlan, which is the oddest person to ever be involved in a movie like this, because Rennie Harlan is a director who did Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, Driven, two movies with Sylvester Stallone. Deep Blue Sea, one of the great shark movies of 1999. (laughs) Exorcist the Beginning, 12 Rounds. I mean, he is a hardcore action director. And if you look through even his producer credits, they're all these action movies. And for whatever reason, Blast from the Past is in there. And he co-produced this with Hugh Wilson. Like, how did he get involved in this movie? We have to get Rennie Harlan, of all people, on here to ask that. Well, let's also point out the fact that Rennie Harlan is a five-time nominee for Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director. So, <laughs> Unfair. <laughs> uh, and I just I just love the fact that you said one of the great shark movies of 1999. Um, yeah. Probably the only shark movie of 1999. Oh. That was the Battle of 99 was, uh, oh, was and Lake, Lake Placid oh, that was, was it. the that other That was a one. crocodile movie, not a shark movie. Well, was it a crocodile or shark? It, it whatever was a, it was. It was a crocodile, one, wasn't it? One of the two... Monster, two, giant uh, fish. Monster, water monster movies. <laughs> Sharks, crocodile, same thing. Let's, let me just point out, 1999, what a year. Uh, I mean, this is blast <laughs> from the past. I, I, I've long stood by the fact that I, I believe 1999 is the best year for music. Maybe we're going to have to argue yeah. that this could be the best year for film. Um, Maybe. Because, I mean, you know, we've got some good good movies this year. Uh, anyway, this isn't the 1999 podcast. This is the Blast from the Past <laughs> film podcast. Um, and let's, let's start off straight away because we've got a bit of a... A throwback here, a bit of a, um, I guess, uh, flashback to the the good old days of the sixties, the Cold War. Colin, do you remember the Cold War? <laughs> uh, I remember seeing the movie Thirteen Days with Kevin Costner about the Cuban <laughs> Missile Crisis. I saw X Men First Class in the last five years. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, Nineteen sixty two. We're in, by the way, and uh, we we're at this house party. Basically, I'm just going to point this out as a dinner or whatever it is. Like, is this a 60s thing that, like, everybody comes to a house for something like This is a very well-attended dinner party. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had this many people. At, and I don't think there's this many people at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just turned 30 recently, all right? 
I had nobody to invite to a party. So <laughs> this is just Sunday dinner for the Webbers. <laughs> and and can we point out, because through this whole scene, through this whole situation, we're obviously getting a bit of a background of the Webbers. All his friends are gossips and all his friends are ripping yeah. shit into him. These are the worst <laughs> friends ever. Maybe the 60s was more cynical than the 90s was. I don't know. It's just but, it's just so mean to this guy. It's just basically like, oh, he invented stuff. Then he went crazy. He did this. He did that. Oh, don't mention this. Don't mention that. Do they have anything nice to say about these people? Yeah. There is something funny about this, though, because I've seen this movie so many times. Like I said, I could almost quote it from heart for most of the scenes. And I know about this opening sequence and I know about the party but for whatever reason, I've always missed all the little details they gave about the backstory of the parents here. Mm. You know, with his being an inventor and uh, uh, a lot of the gossip stuff that's going on. Some stuff, this exposition that you don't even really have pay off to later in the movie. I never quite realized how clever they were in placing some of this stuff early in the movie. I don't know why this stuff I, I glossed over for 18 years because everything else in the movie I remember very specifically. Well, the, the same, I had a similar thing because I was kind of thinking like, how the hell did he build all this stuff underground? Like, surely this is something that's going to mm. raise some eyebrows. But yeah, we get that later on, don't we? When basically, uh, you know, Adam's saying that like, oh, he hired these people, he hired these people, he did this, he did that. So... Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I'm sure we're going to have our moments as we do in all these recaps where we like pick things in like, is this possible? How would this actually work? But you're right. They do very well in kind of subtly explaining these things. And, um, you know, we get a whole lot of that. Like, as you said, the inventor, you know, we get the, the random line there where he's like, I have the most complete baseball card collection ever. You know, obviously yeah. that's going to become a thing and just, just little things like that. So, yeah, it, it is very well done. And, um, you know, maybe his friends are just jealous. <laughs> it's just like he's so rich and everything. But, yeah, we, we, and this is, we should mention this is Christopher Walken's character, uh, Dr. Calvin Webber. Um, and, uh, Spacek, <laughs> uh, Helen, um, <laughs> who is, look, we're going to, we're going to talk up Brendan Fraser. I'm sure we'll talk up Alicia Silverstone. We'll talk up Christopher Walker because he always does. But Sissy Spacek is awesome in this film too. Like she plays oh, kind yeah. of the sixties housewife. <laughs> so amazing. Who's just, you know, holding in all this in, you know, pent up. Anger, rage. <laughs> rage, which like, look again, it's kind of. I, I guess it's really a lot of the sign of the times too, because I mean, you know, in the sixties, it's kind of around the the feminine movement and sort of women. I guess were still at that point just the housewife, you know, do as everything the man says. And behind the scenes, they're screaming in the background. You know, like, <laughs> she's dying for the nineties when women are a little bit more, you know, able to do a lot more than they could in the sixties. I guess. There's one part here I just want to point out uh, in this opening sequence, the duck joke, which of course comes up later in the movie. And it's again something I didn't notice before when when, uh, Christopher Walken starts telling the duck joke, two ducks walk into a drugstore. And this one guy starts laughing and he hasn't gotten the punchline. He has two ducks walk into a drugstore. And meanwhile, he's continuing to tell the joke, and there's one guy, this one idiot is laughing. I don't know if it's just too early. He's like, oh, I've heard this one before, and it just kind of made me laugh. <laughs> it's just, oh, look, the first Christopher Walken impersonation. Good job. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt it. I tried during our View to a Kill one during Double Loss. I can't do Christopher Walken. But, uh, I mean, what a great actor Christopher Walken is as well. The fact that the last time you and I covered him on a film, he was basically a, a insane Nazi scientist murdering people, wanting to, like, blow up Silicon Valley. 
And here he is now, the 60s epitome of a dad who's a little bit crazy and he's worried that uh, they're about to get nuked at any point. Um, so, and, and just look, let's be honest, the 60s fashion is amazing, cardigans and just everything mm-hmm. else that we will get to. But of course, this, this massive dinner party where the entire neighbourhood of Pasadena is invited, um, <laughs> basically, you know, again, 1960s. Somebody comes in and says, oh, quick, you've got to turn on the TV. Kennedy's going head-to-head. Is it Khrushchev or the Russian guy? Khrushchev. That, that, that too. Uh, they all kind of <laughs> around the TV, smoking, you know, nobody's hush- You know, This would never happen in 2017. This would be somebody getting their phone. Oh, shit, Trump's going head-to-head with Kim Jong-un. Oh, and everyone pulls their phones out. I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit. You know, like, that's it. That's all that would happen. Whereas now, like... This would be, I think, a lot more fun if you're at a party where this is happening. You're all around the TV. Shh, shh, Kennedy's addressing the nation. Nowadays, it's like, ah, fucking Trump. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I always like, though, this this um, thing with the, the, the missile crisis. So I don't know if this is supposed to be the Cuban Missile Crisis, but this whole time period, because this was a real fear of people's yeah. and... I think that's what makes this movie more interesting is that you could look at him as just this crazy guy and, you know, he, this idiot gets his family locked underground, but everything about the setup for the story makes total sense from the dad's point of view. And it doesn't make him look stupid. And I think that's why his character works and you're not, you know, angry at him for the rest of the movie, but you almost feel sorry for him. Because they have every reason to believe. Even when they start coming for the surface later, it's great, and we'll get to that later. It, it's it's done in a way, and it's written in a way where you understand why he would assume the world has just ended. Yeah, and you kind of have to look at the time period to understand that too. That when this was going on, people, the, the fact that all the neighbors are like we got to get home, you know, they're panicking and everything because this is what people were thinking in 1962 or 1963. Exactly. And I mean, this is a thing. It's, it's easy to kind of look back now and kind of, as you mentioned, I like, can think, oh, well, they're a bit crazy, but compare the times. Like we live in the, you know, the age of, of terrorism and, and all this, you know, terrible stuff that happens in our world. And I, I really don't think it's too dissimilar to kind of, you know, what they had back in the day. You know, we're always in constant fear that we're, we're going to be somewhere and there's going to be, you know, a terrorist attack and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, we sort of live in a, a similar era to a point. And even kind of, I guess, to date this episode when we're recording it, you know, it's kind of like, oh, at any moment now there's going to be a nuclear bomb dropped on America by North Korea. Like, you know, they're just kind mm. of... It's a, it's always a thing. I mean, I guess kind of we don't necessarily all have a bomb shelter in the backyard. And what were the, the videos, I think, that they used to show in, like, American schools? Like, stop, stop drop, and cover or stuff like that. Duck and cover, Duck yeah. And cover. Like, we don't necessarily get those. At least I don't think we do in Australia. Maybe you do in Canada. I really don't know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to look at, look at all this because, I mean, I could imagine it would be a, a pretty terrifying time. I mean, joking about the whole... Twitter thing and the immediacy of it. I mean, like, just take that out of the equation. This is literally their only way of getting news. That and newspapers and the radio. Mm. They can't get that immediacy. If there is a nuclear attack on America, they have to rely on the TV. Can people listening to this imagine not being able to check your phone and two seconds later something's happened? Like, it's just that's the time. That's that's basically what they had. And, and another little thing that happens just with the exposition here, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was but there was something i missed before where he mentions that the radio i don't know if is it one the radio was one of the things they forgot or the radio was one of the things that wasn't working uh when all this happens but 
that's something that it never occurred to me until I heard it just this past time. Like, oh, yeah. Now I understand why he wasn't just listening on the radio saying, oh, blue skies here in Pasadena today. Just kind of a little throwaway thing. My my thing with this whole sequence is like, um, why is there like a jet like that flying over Los Angeles late at night? I mean... (laughs) I, I, it's America. They've always got to fly their planes. I, I don't know, but um, it's it's. I mean, obviously this kind of sets it up. So you know, everyone leaves the the most popular party this side of Los Angeles, and so um, the Webbers. I mean, we're, again, we're just going to call them by their actors' names. We never worried about their characters' names. Yeah. So Chris Walken <laughs> and Kiki Spacek have to um, go out to their shelter. I love the fact that she's all like, "Oh, I'm going to get the pot roast." <laughs> And the dishes, too. And the cheese is the hardest to get off. Fix that seat cushion, would you? (laughs) (laughs) So good. Um, And they they rush into the shelter, and, of course, this plane that we kind of get cutting between is having an issue. The pilot, don't worry, the random pilot that we've just met for the first time and won't see for the rest of the movie, he survives. Um, But the plane... (laughs) Of course, that he ejects out of that has an issue, crashes into the Weber's house at the same time they go into the shelter. And, of course, you know, they assume that that's the bomb. And as you kind of said, it's it's believable. I mean, I'm sure if I went into a bomb shelter like that, you know, you've heard this, you know, terrible press conference about this, you know, standoff between, you know, Russia and the, so- uh, the Soviet Union and America. And all of a sudden there's a massive explosion and you've got these heat readings on the surface. What else are you going to believe? Like, I mean, of course you're going to believe that that's a, that's a bomb. But my only point is, it's like, this ha- this plane is like, hit a house. Okay, so that's going to make the news. You know, just imagine if a plane like that's flying late at night over Los Angeles and crashes into suburban Pasadena. You know, it's it's going to create the news. And I guess we don't really see too much of that perspective outside of it. But, um, yeah, this well, is maybe a sign to the US Air Force. Stop flying your jets over cities at night when there's an issue because you'll make poor families, you know, go underground for the next 35 years. Yeah, I mean, there's, again, a lot of little lines here and there that piece together these little plot holes, which is one of the things I really liked about uh, this movie just watching this pastime. And there's a mention that later on when, when Adam's telling his parents or when he's telling his dad about what happened with the jet. And he said, you know, there was a newspaper article. I even read it. So they set that up later on. But what I found a little bit odd here is when this jet is out of control, that the guy basically goes straight up as high as he can go, where I'm thinking, why don't you look for a place to ditch it where it's not going to land on somebody's house? They say that, don't they? Like, you hear that radio transmission where they're like, oh, can you ditch it over the water? And he kind of, it's not like he, he kind of ignores the, the, um, the request, I feel. And like, yeah, it's kind of weird that he goes up. I mean... Even if he kind of, I guess, just aimed for the ocean. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. there is ocean nearby to Los Angeles. It's called the Pacific. Um, and like, even if he can't make it, like, oh shit, I'm not going to fly over suburbia. There's a field over there, or there's the mountains. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe this pilot's like the the villain of the movie. <laughs> 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 like there's a deleted scene where he comes back later on. You find out that he's working with the psychiatrist. Blast from the past two. He's coming soon. <laughs> um, but I, I love Christopher Walken. Like I love his. You know when the explosion happens, he shuts the doors. He's kind of all calm. Like what's going on? And then the way he all of a sudden just goes, Ah, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good walk-in, you did. Was it? Was that the best no, walk I've ever done? <laughs> yeah. 
I thought that uh, I was going to be the only one who picked up on how great he was there because he starts, like, completely spazzing out, like, spaz watching here, where he's like, the heat says the heat must be incredible. I don't want to do a short thing. Like, the heat must be incredible. Yeah, he's like, it must be incredible heat up there. He's just going insane. You know, like, I've never seen Christopher Walken that animated. It's such a great little moment. Uh, spazzed out Walken. <laughs> Why isn't that a gif or like a little clip that people... Oh, it happened! <laughs> it happened! <laughs> now I'm picturing Arnold Schwarzenegger in this role. He must be incredible. Put it on my bill. <laughs> How do we find Schwarzenegger into all these episodes? <laughs> He's always going to come into these episodes, let's be honest. Um... I've, I've written here, I don't know why I've written this here. I've written, is this like a Fritzel dungeon? Basically, he's like keeping him underground and his family for the next 30 years. Not really. I mean, there's a bit of a reason he's not just sick. Um, I guess kind of... This blast from the past. Like the horror film that you're inventing here. This pilot really had a vendetta against the Webbers. You know, there's that guy on YouTube that basically gets, um, like, comedies. and Like, he re-edits the trailers to make them into different things. So oh, like, for horror? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, I think that, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire he did into a horror. And, like, Mr. Bean, I think he did it, you know, the Bean movie was, like, a psychotic killer. They need to do this yeah. with this, like, a Russian pilot had a, had a vendetta against the Webbers, only for him to turn into Joseph Fritzl. I <laughs> don't know where I'm going with this. Um, but we kind of, I mean, from this point on, this is really sort of our our montage, isn't it? For like, I guess, what, the next 10, 15 minutes. I mean, we don't have to go over everything here. I mean, we've got 35 years worth of stuff. We do, obviously, you know, just above the ground quickly, sort of as, you know, this is all, the dust is settling. We, we, we see the investigation going on and basically they're implying that they're dead. They've burnt to a crisp in the house. I mean, great crime scene investigators it's kind of like did there not be a body or are they straight away just like oh it was so hot they would have been incinerated oh well they're dead lol let's move yeah. on <laughs> there's only one spot in the entire property that is explored. the house is intact still and it's like they must have been standing on this very spot when the plane crashed <laughs> and like they just Keep had close. all of pasadena there for a dinner party have they not like interviewed these people or are they just because is that what we were getting with the fact their friends hated them oh well they're burnt to a crisp who cares <laughs> Well, they say, like, the, the neighbors say he spent all of his time out here. Like, in the shed? You think they came out here to the shed to do what? <laughs> and I guess, I, I guess, sort of, I mean, it's, it is very, well, actually, you, you make a very good point about saying how everything's explained. Because, I mean, when we get the whole uh, bit later on about explaining how this is all done in secret. So, again, no one knows that they've got this bomb shelter, I guess. So, um, it's not like... I mean, but, I mean, having said that, though, this is the 60s, as we said, everyone had a bomb shelter. That was just like, you know, everybody having Netflix back in the 60s. Everyone had a bomb shelter. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like, look, we're not getting into the intricacies of the, uh, you know, the police investigation into the Weber's death here. But, like, you know, <laughs> clearly, clearly it was just, oh, well, they're burnt. Let's move on. Let's build, you know, mums here. <laughs> yeah. Like when they when they find the trap door for this, it's like, ah, oh, just pour some cement yeah. over it. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, but so we get this kind of this montage and just little things here I've written here. Was it like the warm Dr. Pepper line? Like, I love yeah. that bit when he's like, oh, he liked his Dr. Pepper hot. Good God. Good God. <laughs> is that a thing? Like, I don't know. You're not American, so I guess I, you wouldn't know. But I mean, is that actually no. a thing? 
No, um, but again, my brother and I, like I said, we love this movie. We would quote it all the time. And a couple of years ago, we had Dr. Pepper, and he said, hey, I'm going to heat up some Dr. Pepper. Do you want to try it hot? And we thought, yeah, great. And we took like one or two sips, and we're like, wow, that's pretty good. And then we took a third sip, and it's just, you ever get those things where it's like the first one or two bites of something is great? Yep. And they're like, wow, this is the grossest thing I have ever had. I can't imagine and that's it's what good. I just, Pepper. I don't, like, I don't understand how that is a thing. <laughs> it's, it's good for one or two sips, and then it's just disgusting. That's just, uh, yeah, like, I mean, look, I, I'm one of these weird people, I guess, who can drink. I'm not, not obsessed. I know there are people who are obsessed with Dr. Pepper. Like, Dr. Pepper's a thing in Australia that kind of comes and goes, I guess. It, like, comes in waves. You know, like, I don't know, John Travolta or somebody like that. But, like, it just, you know, a big one moment <laughs> and they're terrible. Um, but, like, I remember, I think it was the late 90s, there was a big thing for it. Like, oh, my God, Dr. Pepper. And I remember I tried, I'm like, I love this. And, like, my sister tried, she's like, this is disgusting. And everybody who I knew was like, oh, Ben, how can you drink that shit? Disappeared. wasn't a thing. Then it came back. And now I feel it's just one of these things you buy in, like, a, you know, I'll come to the international lolly store or something like that, where we sell food from lollies and candies from around the world. Oh, you can buy a can of Dr. Pepper. And I remember when I was in America recently, I think, um, you know, one of the millions of uh, fast food restaurants I went to, it's America, hello. Um, I was like, one time I was like, oh, I'm going to get Dr. Pepper. And I kind of drank about half of it. I'm like, why did I get Dr. Pepper? I mean, it's okay, but I wouldn't drink this constantly. (laughs) Yeah. We have, uh, I don't even know what it's called here, because I don't really drink any type of, sodas or anything but uh the knockoff i i see more commonly on the shelves here than we see dr pepper i think it's called like mr skipper or something like that is it it called dr salt (laughs) (laughs) but um no i just doing a bit of research here uh research i googled it Uh, (laughs) pulled out my encyclopedia britannica (laughs) uh most of the things i'm finding here for hot dr pepper are look like they're ads from the 60s where it's a recipe to uh it's like a holiday drink so for christmas or whatever you'd have hot dr pepper and lemon juice Mm, that sounds completely weird but okay (laughs) (laughs) the 60s eh (laughs) but uh, i like uh, one of the earlier lines here we get when um what is it when chris walken's like this is just like home and she's like no calvin this is different and then what does he say like yeah you seem distressed would you like a tranquilizer would you like a tranquilizer <laughs> have a tranquilizer <laughs> i mean you know that's that's just the epitome of 60s marriages <laughs> like shut up woman <laughs> well not to mention she's like nine months pregnant it's like i got drugs if you need it <laughs> That's the 60s for you. So, yes, we, we, I guess we haven't mentioned that point at all until just then. She's pregnant, um, which I guess <laughs> kind of an important thing to mention because that will lead us to Brendan Fraser. Um, so, yeah, we, we basically, from this point on, we get the motto, I've written here, they need Netflix. Um, you know, <laughs> they're going to be watching the same movies over and over again. Um, what is it, The Honeymooners? Or what are they watching? What is it, is that show they're watching? Yeah, The Honeymooners. It is, yep, all right. Um, so kind of through all this, we get, uh, you know, a lovely little scenes of, uh, young Adam. He's learning everything in school. He's learning boxing. He's learning dancing. He grows up and he's trying to get taught baseball, which is, they're the fun scenes, aren't they? You know, <laughs> so why do they need to do that? They just do. Because <laughs> he must. Because <laughs> they must. Uh, you know, through so this sissy SpaceX slowly, slowly turning into an alcoholic and going crazy. <laughs> Uh, which is which is awesome because uh, turning into an alcoholic I, I love, is awesome. 
the moment where she starts, like, when they're clearly establishing that she's, you know, boozing to cope with her grief of losing the world, um, the first scene where she's pouring the drink and she literally looks like a mad yes. scientist who's licking her lips. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great scene. I love it. Um, look, again, I, I, feel free to moment to just go over any of the, your favorites that I'm not... Um, mentioning here but i mean the one i've written here when they're like talking about like oh when you know we got to the surface you could find a nice girl you know settle down i've written here he could be gay <laughs> like, I mean, well so 1960s they could never find a guy <laughs> in all honesty he's been exposed to two people his entire life <laughs> Would he be anything other than a mama's boy at this point? Well, exactly. I mean, look, I, I'm the type of person who this whole time, like, later on when we get that bit when he says, like, oh, I'd like to go off and meet a meet a girl. You know, I've been thinking a little bit about that. Oh, for the last 15 years. Basically, horny yeah. Adam for 15 years. <laughs> I mean, how does that work? Do his parents not have sex? I mean, like, can we not think about the intricacies here of living in a tiny shelter for 35 years? <laughs> I just want to say about the shelter, because it's funny you mentioned that we have a long montage here. I counted 35 minutes into the movie before Brendan oh, Fraser even comes minutes. in. Wow, really. I thought it was shorter than that. Yeah. It, that, that, that's the thing. is It's quite a long time, but it doesn't feel that way. And, and this is one of my favorite things about the movie, is just these montages showing what it would be like them living there. Because I'm looking at this, you know, even when I was a teenager watching this versus now... I always sort of look at this thinking, I want to live there. Mm. And it's just, it's a funny difference between the husband and wife and one of these little things that I only get now that I'm married, where he's like, no, we're fine living here, you know? And she's like, no, it's not okay. And he's like, we'll be in here for another 10 years. Like, no, how about a week, you know? Because there are so many things that I would be fine with. And my wife's like, Colin, we need to get proper dishes. Enough of eating <laughs> off of paper plates. So, okay, so, so basically you're implying that you're you're there like, oh, let's live in this great apartment. And Jamie's in the background switching alcohol, you know, being a mad scientist, like going, no, Colin, this isn't the same. <laughs> That's basically marriage as they summed it up in just a few little scenes. <laughs> the, the, the thing, obviously, that this, I mean, this is setting up and, you know, I guess it's important not to gel over is the fact that they are literally locked underground for 35 years. They have no, um, you know, connection or they have no exposure to anything changing in culture over that 35 years. And, of course, we get sort of the juxtaposition of that on, on the surface when we, you know, meet Joey Slotnick, Mum, Soda Jerk, whatever his name is, um, and through all those scenes there, which we'll get to in a moment too, to kind of compare this with that. But it, it, that's where I think this works really well because... You know, the 60s had such different ideals compared to the 90s, which we'll get to. And, you know, learning about all these things, just, you know, the dancing and the politeness and just everything along those lines. And just even joking, like, when we get the, oh, boy, a jacket. Like, you know, when he's, <laughs> when he's like, 35. Like, you know, what 35-year-old says that when he gets a jacket now? I mean... <laughs> oh, boy, a jacket. <laughs> Uh, you know. The little lines that he has, like, let's just start the Brendan Fraser love now. The little lines he has, the sincerity he delivers them with are so funny that these little things like just saying, oh boy, a jacket can crack you up every single time. Like, he's absolutely amazing in this movie. And, and like, when he gets the rollerblades or the roller skates, these are swell. Uh <laughs> 
after first being like, what are these? <laughs> these look funny. And I just, just quickly, the reveal of Brendan Fraser is kind of cool when he's got his hands over his face and he just does the whole like, yeah. ta-da. Um, look, we'll talk about the service stuff separately. I think I'm just gelling all this together. Uh, I've just I've written here the whole baseball conversation, which I know I touched on. It's like, what's baseball? So, so you got a picture. Oh, like a painting. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, and he's got a bat. Oh, the nocturnal flying mammal. <laughs> I just love the... That little kid's, like, a little shit. But, like, I mean, he's got... He's clearly... I mean, look, think about baseball and have somebody explaining it to you. I try to explain cricket to an American. It took me a three-hour drive from Orlando to Miami, and I still don't think she understood it properly, okay? It is a case of you need to watch it to understand it. So I'm fully with this kid about understanding baseball. If I had never seen it and somebody's explaining it to me, I wouldn't understand it. I sat through two hours of The Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm, a movie about cricket, and I don't understand cricket still. Um, if Major League was the only thing I'd ever been exposed to baseball with, I probably wouldn't understand baseball either. Cricket is a lot more complicated than baseball. Let's just be honest. I mean, for a sport to have three different versions of the same game, um, you know, that would be like hockey having a version that goes for a day, a version that goes for half a day, and a version that goes for two hours. That's cricket. There are three versions of cricket. One that goes for five days, one that goes for a day, and one that goes for two hours. So, in itself, can, you're already confused. But can any of the explanations of cricket end in, because he must? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. I would honestly use that. Like, why do they have to run between the wickets? Because they must. <laughs> So, yes, I, I, and one, let's be honest, we'd all love to see Christopher Walken try to explain cricket. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Look, I, I've, I've touched on so many things here. I don't want to go on the surface stuff here, I believe, because that's kind of separate in a way. But uh, please, mention anything, because, again, I didn't realise it was 35 minutes. We just covered basically a third of the movie there. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, there's not as much to cover here, just because there are all these little scenes, but... It's so cool because you understand everything, even the things I never picked up on growing up watching this, I pick up and now that I know we're going to be talking about the movie and having to explain it, are things like when they are educating him, you know, how would he know certain things? How would he know about the capital of Alaska later in the movie? Well, you see that they're doing school with him. Um, When they have to explain baseball with him, that would explain if, if there's a sport or something like that, something that you have to actually witness that would explain why he doesn't understand it later on in the movie. And, you know, the, the, the TV is the best thing, like the, the honeymooners thing. And it's funny the the moment where uh, Walken says, it's like, people will never get tired of this. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was meant to be a joke or something like that, because it is a show that still to this day, like, I can turn on the TV. It's a Saturday night, and I think there's still a channel here that airs it two or three or even four episodes every single Saturday night of the honeymooners. But it's just the fact that she's watching this same episode over and over again. And this is the difference. Christopher Walken gets laughs in this movie by delivering lines. Sissy Spacek gets laughs by reacting to other people's lines. And that's what's so brilliant about her in the movie is the little expressions she has. Like when she's got her mad scientist, you know, booze hound face. (laughs) And when he's saying things like, nobody will ever get sick of this. And she's like, I want to die now, but I'm still smiling. (laughs) And we should mention, uh, you know, Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek, both Academy Award winners. So, you know, they're obviously, uh, you know, pretty decent actors in their own right. But, um, yeah, it's it's just done so well. And, like, all the setting... I mean, like, one thing I was kind of this whole thing, I'm like, how the fuck do these things last for 35 years? But even then, later on, don't we? We get that line of, like, oh, we had enough supplies for 35 years. 
Um, yeah. And I mean... And the fact that they have, like, fish there, too. Yeah. You, you see that they're growing vegetables. They have fresh fish and everything. I mean, everything in this movie makes sense, even down to a line later on in the movie where he talks about how his father cut into some type of piping system for air ventilation. Yeah. You know, it's like they actually sat down and said, if you were going to build this, you know, if somebody were to do this for real, how would it be done? And let's throw as many mentions in the movie we can as possible. And it's it's kind of, yeah, it's it's, it's well done that way. But it's, it's like, you can't imagine this working out, like if this was a thing in 2017 and this was, say, set and people were stuck underground for 35 years. Again, it's just, it's the different times. I mean, in 1962, you know, kids went outside and played and just did things yeah. that were, you know, they made their own fun and, you know, they weren't glued to a computer screen or a phone all the time. I mean, this happened now. How bored would they be within five minutes? Like, I joked about not having Netflix. Like, if they didn't have the internet in this damn bunker, they were fucked. Like, they're not going to get entertained by watching the same episode of uh, Modern Family over and over again. Like, it's just... If all they could hear is the same interview of the Oz Network with <laughs> Joey Slotnick, would they get bored, though? No, of course not, because it's the Oz Network and everybody <laughs> would love that. But... <laughs> Both our listeners clearly do, Colin, so it's good. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's so, yeah, it's so well done. Uh, and, and I mean, I'm sort of jumping ahead here because we'll, we'll get this separately when we get to the, obviously they get to go up. But I love it when they're at the dinner table. And what, is, what does Christopher Walken say about something like, oh, I'll miss this place. And Sissy Spacek is like, would you excuse me for a moment? Ah! Yeah, goes and it screams. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, but before we get to that bit, I think we're just the surface stuff that we get on top as well. You know, from the the guy creeped out about uh, you know hot Dr Pepper to mums coming along. We meet Joey Slotnick and mum soda jerk and mum. And this is this is this is obviously our bit, isn't it? Where we're learning about how times change between 1962 yeah. and 1999 you know this great you know malt shop milk shop whatever you want to call it, milk bar and i guess that's what we call it in australia whatever you know what i'm talking about and what does he say like oh i'm getting like a buck 50 an hour or something buck like 15 an hour i'm breaking to the girl yeah. ultimately turns into like a bar um and then i love my favorite bit is like when the barry white starts playing and they're all like what the hell kind of music is that? And then, you know, just yeah. get that dancing and jokes like, like with the girls, like going, yeah, this is pretty good. Uh, which is, I, I think it's a cool scene. Like, cause I could imagine in the seventies when you're hearing that for the first time, you're like, what the fuck is, that's basically what happens every time you turn on the radio and he dubstep, basically. Let's compare it that way to, you know, the, the modern times. Um, but, yeah. and then, you know, through there, it's obviously, we get into, you know, what, the early nineties, I think at that point when everything is just completely fucked over drugs and mum selling the place. And then here's Joey Slotnick, who just has not left. He's got the tattoo on his head that we talked about with him in the interview. He's grown the hair. And look, in all seriousness, we're tagging this interview. If you haven't listened to it yet, he does give a bit of a behind the scenes about sort of the makeup scenes that were involved in this, you know, the amount of time it took him to get into sort of the the hair and the tattoos and everything was, you know, quite interesting. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great collection of scenes, obviously, to really show. And it, it kind of, it's not a positive light. It's basically showing society is fucked since the 60s. We've really gone yeah. downhill. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because another thing I didn't really think about until I watched this pastime is throughout the course of this movie, they identify that this is like a problem. I think they said this is like San Fernando or something like that. So there's a line later on where Dave Foley's explaining, you know, what this area used to all be houses. And I'm kind of just gathering that what they're doing is, you know, really placing this in Los Angeles where somebody from that area would get, oh yeah, that's the ghetto, you know? Um, 
the way that, you know, in, in my city, you know, we would have the north end of Winnipeg. Well, maybe 60 years ago, the north end was this utopia, and now it's just the slums. And that's kind of what's funny about this is that they just happen to be in the wrong area. It does speak about the 90s and everything with the culture, but then there's other places where it's completely normal. But I just love that, by coincidence, they are in, like, the worst neighborhood imaginable. Yeah, I mean, same here in Hobart. It'd be our northern suburbs, essentially, and kind of what it's, you know, turned into. It's funny, actually, we have a place in Hobart called Battery Point, which, you know, back in the day when Hobart was kind of first founded, that was the slums. That was the terrible area. You don't go there. And now it's the most expensive area in the entire city. So it's kind of, it's it's interesting how that works. But yeah, it's, it's, it's done so well with all that, how it kind of, ultimately we're about to get Christopher Walken going up to the surface here. But um, look, I've been to Los Angeles a couple of times, Colin, and it's, it's more than just one area that's a slum. Uh, so. <laughs> No offense, there Los are Angeles. <laughs> stores on every corner. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't dislike Los Angeles. Let's just say it's not as glamorous as everybody makes it out to be. That's my point about LA. Um, but anyway, this isn't the bag out LA podcast. Hello to all our Los Angelinos listening and Pasadenians. Um, but this brings it up to thirty-five years have passed. Yay! The 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 doors unlock. They all wake up and um, get ready to go up to the top. Was is we get the line here when is it when Brendan Fraser is saying about oh I've been thinking about girls and they're like oh hopefully you'll meet someone that, that doesn't glow in the dark and then it's kind of like that's the most offensive thing because they could say oh Calvin don't say that or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like I love how I love how that's the thing. and is this the scene where Sissy Spacek says shit and they're like yeah oh she's it's like French <laughs> ancient colonial French. <laughs> <laughs> He gives a long, detailed explanation. Uh, you know, typical. We can't escape any sort of episode without bringing up the French. Um, French. <laughs> the French. So, the, the doors are unlocked. It's been 35 years. So, let's go up to the surface. So, Christopher Walken goes in. I love it when he's like, should we say a prayer first? Just open the door. <laughs> um... And here we go. Christopher Walken goes up to the surface and um, we go into Joey Sloan. Again, we just call them by their acting name. Why not? Um, <laughs> goes up through the elevator and here's good old Joey Slotnick who's wanting a sign. And, well, what happens? He gets Christopher Walken. Wouldn't we all like that? Um, he's, I come in peace. And he faints. Leave my elevator alone. Leave my elevator alone. <laughs> Which becomes one of the best most quotable lines of this entire movie because you could quote it in so many different areas and come on like it, let, let's picture this right now you are you are in a i don't know you're in your house and all of a sudden your floor opens up and a guy comes up in a yellow suit i come in <laughs> peace are you not gonna be like what the f-? like you probably would faint and believe it's some weird kind of sign from another being that's the other thing, is that when I was watching it this past time, I was watching it almost from Joy Slotnick's point of view, thinking, you know, just like with the dad, it's like, would I honestly believe that the world had mutated if this is the first thing I'm seeing in 50 years or 35 years or whatever? From Joy Slotnick's point of view, I'm thinking, if that happened, would I believe that God just rose out of the floor? <laughs> And maybe, I don't know. It would depend if I had ever seen a radiation suit before. <laughs> I remember, like, when we did the six-day episode, and we're kind of like, you know, would this happen, like, cloning and all this other stuff? You're really trying to analyse it all. It's like, just just yeah. picture yourself right now, wherever you were listening to this episode, and somebody comes up from the floor, like, just out of the blue. You're going to shit yourself and, say, and wonder what the hell. Keep my elevator alone. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to faint. 
You know, I mean, if it's, if it's Christopher Walken, I'd ask for an interview first. But then I would faint. <laughs> I do love his line when he walks out. What happened to my backyard? Uh, <laughs> Stop doing Christopher Walken impersonations, Ben. You can't do it. <laughs> that was pretty good again. Um, I, I love again when he does step outside and he's seeing the worst of the worst. For whatever reason, the image of the guy coming out and throwing up just makes me crack up so hard. I like the guy in the car with the gun, water pistol. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> Like, even even if, like, that is in anywhere in L.A., that's just mean. <laughs> if I'm in America and a guy drives past me with a gun, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I'm thinking I'm dead. Like, that is just You're horrible. <laughs> we don't drive around Australia with boomerangs hanging out the window going, surprise, mate. Like... <laughs> no, seriously, like, the whole sequence on the surface there... Again, it, it goes back to my point where it's like if if this was the first thing you're seeing yes. in 35 years, you probably would believe the world was over. And again, it's kind of like a 90s thing. You look back on this now, you're like, yeah, that was the 90s. People throwing up on every street corner and <laughs> gangs in the streets and hermaphrodites <laughs> proposition you whatever <laughs> i mean just i mean this movie would be completely different if he like rocks up in the hollywood hills and like you know there's all these you know rich people but um yeah i love the scene he gets with the uh the the prostitute <laughs> it's like if you want a boy i can be a boy if you want a girl i can be a girl <laughs> uh and the, the bit when he goes into the adult bookstore <laughs> and you just hear Oh, poisonous gas got to him. It's like 1960s men, you know, probably never seen that. Even when they've had sex with their wives, like, you know. They're sleeping in twin beds for this entire film. (laughs) The only time they ever have sex is to procreate, and of course they keep their clothes on. That's what always happens when our parents have sex. So it's um, (laughs) the first time Christopher Walken's ever seen a naked woman, people, all right? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you've got anything else to add on this. This bit before we go back uh, underground. <laughs> no, I'm just excited to get to Adam on the surface. <laughs> oh, we we I mean, Christopher Walker goes back down. Basically, says, "Look, we've got to stay down here." Um, you know, because again, as you said, he's basically seen the worst of the worst. Of course, you're going to believe that the world has gone to hell. Um, and I, I was it the line actually when um, oh, was that is that an Adam line when they said something about like rebuild. And he thinks he's talking, obviously, about the Los Angeles earthquake, not the... Uh, oh, no, that's later on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, never yeah with the, uh, Troy later on. Yeah, yeah, I'm jumping way ahead. So, no, Chris Walken goes back underground. Basically said it's not safe enough, and they've got to, what, stay under there for another 10 years, I think he kind of says. So, Sissy says... Sissy says... You know who I'm talking about. Uh, she <laughs> loses it. Chris Walken has a heart attack. So uh, then we get this great scene of uh, Sissy Say Space. I can't speak. Sissy Space. <laughs> you can't say her name, not in the list. Sissy Space. The there mother. we go. There we go. Um, so Chris Walken has a heart attack. I'm getting excited here because we're getting a Brendan Fraser on the surface. Um, he survives. Don't worry. If you haven't seen this film and you're listening to this, Chris Walken's okay. Um, if he dies in between now and recording this, we're sorry. We didn't predict Christopher Walken dying, but just, you know, don't blame us. Oh, we've got to stop saying things like that. Uh, <laughs> but I love this whole sequence of when she's going to Adam, basically, about, like, this is what you've got to get to the top. Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> and there's a thing a called liquor a liquor store. store. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> Back Here's to, an extra 500. <laughs> back to, uh, you know, uh, crazy mad scientist, uh, <laughs> uh, and the whole, what is it, like, 
um, if anyone asks, say, I'm from out of town. I'm here on business. Yeah. You know, go stay in a holiday inn. Kind of like, again, all these things that are still there, uh, you know, 35 years later. You know, it's, it's not, it would have been funny if she had said, like, I, look, I don't know a 1960s hotel chain that doesn't exist. But I mean, it would have been funny if she had said, like, one of those and it didn't exist. Yeah, I'm sure that would have made for some great laughs in the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's very specific. She could have just said a hotel, but no, a holiday inn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can see the great scene right now where he's meeting Eve. Can you take me to the hotel that doesn't exist that used to be around in the 60s? Sorry, we don't have those anymore. How about a holiday inn? Okay. <laughs> Last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Guy from earlier in the scene, earlier in the movie, laughing halfway through the joke. <laughs> um, and then, so yeah, basically from that point on, uh, Adam, Brendan Fraser, he's going out to the surface. Don't go to the adult bookstore, boys and cats. <laughs> um, the the bit that's a bit creepy that Christopher Walken says, and I think this maybe is just coming from the fact that he's been into an adult bookstore now, so he's seen what he could get. <laughs> Find a healthy young woman and bring her down. <laughs> like It's kind of like, are you saying that for, for Adam or you there, Chris? <laughs> it's like creepy walking um so yeah up to the surface we go adam meets joey slotney what does he say can you forgive me your decay is over we all i love that like it just i think it goes back to what you're saying about all these things that brendan fraser says are just so much better like you know oh a jacket wow like the bit when it's like can you stay here and pray the way he's like yeah that's always a good idea (laughs) (laughs) there's so many lines like that in the movie where where it means one thing in the 90s and it means something else in the 70s you know well my favorite one's still to come once we get dave foley introduced in the movie but yeah, all this stuff on the surface here is just like his first interaction with the world. Yeah. Because he's so sincere in it and it's played for like such big laughs, but from his point of view it's like everything makes sense. Like like, you know, when the the guy's clearly mistaking him for a god, but he just assumes, Oh, it's been a rough time, you know, since the world was destroyed, like from Adam's point of view, everybody here is suffering. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> and this, he's there just to cheer them up. And this is his very, like, I mean, it, it was different when, you know, Walken goes to the top because, you know, he's met people before. This is this is his Adam's very first time meeting somebody that isn't his parents. Yeah. Um, you know, like, shouldn't he be shuddering the first time he sees Melcher here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this guy with a tattoo on his forehead, crazed look in his eye? I know, he's very calm. Like, he's a very calm guy for somebody who's just meeting this person. Has he ever seen facial hair before? <laughs> just things like that. Clearly never seen a tattoo before. Exactly. Uh, so, but yeah, we get this great... I love this sequence when he's, like, experiencing things for the first time. Like, he sees the sky and we get all these people like, What is it? The sky! I don't see it! <laughs> like, Another one little kid. I see it, Mommy, right there! <laughs> and I mean, there's uh, so many things that, like, you know, again, just thinking outside of where we should think of. Like, he's a bit creepy to this, like, little girl. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, 2017. And it's I like, pedo, Brendan! <laughs> The, look, I I love the scene with the male lady. It's just so funny. Like, what are you looking at? My lucky stars. A Negro. Say what now? Like, <laughs> just the way, the way he handles it is like, so funny. This is where this movie really works because you watch it and it's funny because you realize somebody from 1963, that would be like, whoa, yeah. haven't seen one of those before. Yeah. 
And it's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just handled well. Like, I mean, the line he says is kind of like, well, that's a bit inappropriate there, Brendan. But like, it's just, it, I mean, it's handled well the way they do it. But in all honesty, shouldn't he be looking at everybody like that? Shouldn't he be like, look, oh, my lucky star is a child. Yeah. The first time he sees, oh, my lucky star's breast. Like, <laughs> There's a lot of these scenarios where Oh My Lucky Star should be coming into play. <laughs> uh, probably one of my favourite bits of the movie is when he's on the bus. Uh, yes! <laughs> I just got to stop myself because I'm going to start laughing too much here. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Take over from the bus. This is hilarious. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Hold on, everybody. Oh, boy. Here we go. Hold on, everybody. <laughs> and, of course, when you get into something that my brother and I have done before after this movie came out, where we would stand up on a bus and go, Driver, we would like to get off the bus. Please stop immediately. I wish to get off. <laughs> I mean, the best part here. Can, can you can you find a way to get through the guy who sits next to the conversation? Because this might be the funniest part of the whole movie. Oh, the guy he's like talking to him about. Well, I got to remember. I've written down a lot of the lines. But he's like, "Do you have a gun?" By the way, <laughs> just like, well, thank you for not waving it around. Him. <laughs> and the little old man that keeps turning around and looking. The best is how crazy and how uncomfortable this crazy guy with the gun, how afraid he is of Adam, that when he's saying, I need to find a grocery store, there's a grocery store over there! <laughs> that is so Stop the bus! Stop the bus! But <laughs> he's like, I would like to get off the bus. Stop the bus! Stop the bus! And what's he saying about like the bus driver? He's like, oh, the bus driver wouldn't take my money. Like, why wouldn't he take all my money? I just want to... Like... He's really angry at me. <laughs> Because again, <laughs> like, you know, 1960s, everyone's polite. 1990s, everyone's rude. <laughs> like, yeah, know, that is 1990s. He's coming across everybody who's basically an asshole to him, <laughs> but he's still so polite. Um, oh, this is. <laughs> I wish we did you Hall of Fame moments. Do us a favor for all the listeners because you did say that you might be taking a Greyhound bus. Yes. <laughs> you go on a trip next month. When you do, promise us that you will at least get an audio recording or a video of yourself going, Driver, I would like to get off the bus, please. <laughs> please stop the bus. Done. <laughs> and hopefully I'll sit next to like a crazy blonde guy who's got a gun. Or whoever, yeah, whoever you sit next to, I want you to ask, do you have a gun? <laughs> Thank you for not waving it around at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I love the fact that we always find the most you know random scenes in any film that we just lose our shit over <laughs> but I mean, in all seriousness we got another one coming up oh we do but like in all seriousness um, Brendan Fraser kind of going back to what you were saying about how he's like the perfect guy for this you know just how he handles it I mean can you imagine any other actor like think of any late 90s actor you know, comedic actor, maybe. I mean, we did this, I think, in a Bond one, thinking about terrible 90s women actors who would be better than Denise Richards. But, like, is there any actor that you could honestly picture in this role better than Brendan Fraser? No, I can't. I mean, I'm struggling to think of anybody who could even be considered for this. You really have to be, like, a Boy Scout, but also, you know, have this 
this politeness about you and, and like I keep saying the sincerity about him it's not just the fact that you're you're playing it for laughs it's the fact that you're funny because you honestly believe that this guy is real and I can't think of anybody that can pull this off you try casting Matthew Perry in this role <laughs> and it's a joke <laughs> well yeah could I be on a bus <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's strange, isn't it? Because it's like, you really can't think of... I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to think of anyone in that era who would be... Who would do it as well. Um, Leslie Nielsen, maybe? People about 50 years younger? <laughs> exactly. But again, you know... <laughs> well, look, Leslie Nielsen could play anyone at any age, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of... yeah. Uh, well, maybe we can... <laughs> We're still struggling to come up with it for The World Is Not Enough one. We couldn't come up with our female <laughs> actresses, Fran Drescher. Um, <laughs> she's our go-to. Driver, I like him off the bus. <laughs> he wouldn't take my money. <laughs> Do you have a gun, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Fran Drescher. It's where we always go to, all right? And let's be honest, the day that comes that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Fran Drescher in a movie, you and I hit peak podcast. <laughs> I'm Mr. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> what is with this woman's annoying voice? I can't stand listening to her anymore. <laughs> He sells itself. Why is it an ever? <laughs> <laughs> Can't we just Please. see that board meeting in like a big Hollywood studio? All right, got this idea. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Fred Dresser. Sold. Let's make it. <laughs> With Joey Slotnick as the sidekick. <laughs> <sighs> So, he's on the bus. <laughs> he, he wants to get off the bus because he goes to the crew. It doesn't get any easier. Off the bus! <laughs> <laughs> oh, we go to the, the grocery store. <laughs> oh, let's just get to it. He meets the meat guy at the butcher. Can we just do a live commentary for this movie? <laughs> this, this, this butcher guy might be my favourite character in the whole movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't even believe this guy's an actor. I think they just went into a supermarket and got this guy to just, like, this is, he just is so good at being this guy. Like, yeah. What is he, like, he asking the questions? Oh, I need to get some meat patties. Fresh or frozen? Oh, are you serious? Frozen, of course. <laughs> and just how he's like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I did this amount of money. And the guy's just like, that'll be like $500 or whatever. It's like, that's not enough. Mum only gave me this amount of money. For a meat order that size, you need to get it delivered. No. Oh, okay. I don't know where I live. Do you know where I live? No. <laughs> Will you excuse me? Gladly. <laughs> I need to find this guy. I'm scrolling through the cast here, and I found the, the characters of Bum, Drunken Hag, and Pakistani. <laughs> I was going to go through that later. 
Who's Pakistani? Butcher. Todd Sussman. Todd Sussman as Butcher. <laughs> yeah, there he is. <laughs> He's been in Orange is the New Black recently. Um... <laughs> Oh, he's been in a few things, actually. Taking a pill in one, two, three. He was a supervisor. Okay. Oh. <laughs> ER, yeah, he's in ER! Got... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so the supermarket scene. <laughs> Anything to add? <laughs> no, I get This is the point where we're just quoting all the lines from the movie. <laughs> is the way he's a, Do you know where I live? <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> Excuse me, gladly. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, it is a good point, though. Like, it's it's kind of it's good that we get this explained because how does he know where he lives? He doesn't. He's like yeah. just riding this bus, and I mean, because you know things have kind of changed in thirty five years. So, um, and Los Angeles is a big city. So, uh, poor poor Brendan Fraser at this point. <laughs> Yes, poor Brendan. Sorry, I just needed to take a breath. I thought you might say something there. But... <laughs> no, I actually was legitimately like, I'm getting over a cold, I should explain. So if I go silent, it's because I've laughed too hard and it's making me cough. But I legitimately was saying, like, this is the point in the movie where you almost feel really bad for him. And that's, again, just the brilliance of Brendan Fraser is that you feel sad for him like he's a 10-year-old boy lost in the city. <laughs> and also it's a case of, like, uh, I guess the whole bit there with the, the butcher uh, is, you know, money, you know, uh, what is it, inflation, I guess, over 35 years, yeah. obviously. Things are a little bit more expensive than they were in the 60s, so... You know, that's Which his parents should have known that. His genius father should have known this. Well, I guess they, from their perspective, the world has ended, though. So, like, would currency even be a oh, thing? Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, so basically from this point on, he gets off because uh, he sees, what, the baseball uh, card store. Stop the bus! I wish to get off! And there's that homeless <laughs> guy at the back who's, like, wakes up. It's like, you know, jumps in the back. Homeless guy starts screaming, stop the bus! <laughs> there's always one in Los Angeles, let's be honest. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, he goes into this store. We meet uh, the random guy behind the counter who's about to rip poor Brendan Fraser off. And, uh, oh, look who walks in. It's Batgirl! Uh, <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Alicia Silverstone, everybody. Um, we meet Eve. Now, look, we're going to talk about Alicia Silverstone. Obviously, we have to. She's in this film. Uh, we like Alicia Silverstone. We're not saying anything bad against her. But was this, like, the last thing she was ever in of note? <laughs> um, I might have to Google that. <laughs> uh, well, I, she is coming out with the new Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie, which, by the way... The, those movies are pretty good. They're not just kids' movies. I've seen all three of them. Um, I'm looking forward to the fourth one. Uh, okay, here's the interesting thing. You said we like Alicia Silverstone. At the time this movie came out, you could not have found an actress I disliked more. Wow. <laughs> but having said that, this is coming off of you know all these bad 90s movies, Batman and Robin, like you said, Batgirl and everything. I just was not a fan of her. And this was always the movie that I could stand her in, but even still, I didn't really like her, even in this movie, that much. But now watching it, like it's it's kind of what I said earlier about how this movie ages well because her character represents the 90s better than anybody, and her character just makes so much more sense now. And I can actually get laughs out of her, whereas I used to always kind of just groan, but... You know, it would be interesting to go back and see if it was just a thing at the age I was being annoyed with a teenage actress out there. 
you know, because teenagers are annoyed with everybody who's a teenager, right? <laughs> um, and maybe now I could go back and watch the, the, the music video trilogy of Alicia Silverstone <laughs> and be able to stomach it. Well, it's interesting because, like, I mean, just looking at her filmography, I, I'd only seen her in Batman and Robin. I've never seen Clueless. Still to this day, I have not seen Clueless. Um, I kind of have That's a- the other thing I should say. As a teenage boy whose sister was obsessed with Clueless, it was just like, get this garbage off our TV. Let's put Die Hard back on. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that, I mean, she got so famous off of Clueless. Like, I mean, you, you think about how big Alicia Silverstone was for those five minutes in the 90s. She really didn't do a whole lot to kind of warrant that fame. I mean, yeah, she was known for her yeah. music videos. She's gorgeous. Let's, let's, I mean, at least uh, you probably don't think so, but I do. Um, you know, she's, she's, I think she's a decent actress from what I've seen her in, but, you know, she had Clueless. Then from there, what we had the babysitter, true crime, Batman and Robin, followed by excess baggage, and then blast from the past. And pretty much from then on in, the only things of note I can see here, she was in Scooby Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. She apparently played herself in Tropic Thunder. I don't remember that. Um, wait, wait, wait. You glossed over the fact that she also played her uh, the same character in Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, the video game. Oh, see, that's not on what I'm looking here, so I missed that bit. Uh, I, I was more <laughs> concerned about the uh, great films that I really hope we get to cover here on the Oz Network, including Ass Backwoods, Space Dogs, Adventures to the Moon, and Who Gets the Dog? <laughs> she did a Space Dogs movie? She did a Space really Dogs movie. She was the, the voice of Belka. <laughs> oh, just a voice acting gig. <laughs> I mean, she's done, I mean uh, she was in it. What didn't she was in some TV show that they was semi big for a while? What was mismatch? Mismatch. There, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, and just looking here at other TV credits, even the TV credits are shit. <laughs> <laughs> What the Sorry, fuck is? We'll not be having Alicia Silverstone on the this single, show. The single, look, look, let's be honest. Like, I, I like Alicia Silverstone. I'm not you. I like Alicia Silverstone, but I kind of feel bad for her now because look at this. She was in, she was in mismatch. Then she was in four unsold pilots that didn't make it to air. So she was in Queen Bee, where she played Beatrice B, unsold Fox pilot, also co-executive producer. Then she was in a film called uh, a show called Pink Collar. Unsold ABC pilot, the singles table, unsold NBC pilot, and the Bad Mother's Handbook, unsold ABC pilot. I kind of feel bad for Alicia Silverstone. She's trying, but no one wants her anymore. <laughs> Can I just say, right before we went on the air with this episode, we were talking about. Wonder if there's anybody from this movie because we like to try to figure out anything we cover if we can get somebody on the show, and we're like. Wonder if there's anybody in Blast from the Past we could get on, you know, other than Joey Slotnick, who's always already been on. And Ben's like, well, we could probably get Alicia Silverstone on, or at least try for it. And we were legitimately thinking about that. And all of a sudden now, I'm like, you know, I really hated her growing up. And Ben's like, I feel so bad for her. Like, she's such a failure. There's no way she's coming on this show. I'm not trying to say she's a failure. It's more so that the arsehole networks won't touch her. She was apparently, there's there's a thing called Making a Scene with James Franco, where she was in the episodes Breaking Sex, Murdered with Children, and One's Company. And she's now, according to this, a main role in a f- show called American Woman, which, according to this, hasn't been an unsold pilot, so maybe that's a positive for Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> it's it, well, it's an upcoming good. sitcom on TV land based on the life of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Kyle Richards. She is a star alongside another 90s actress the world has forgotten, Mia Savari. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> 
Are they going to be joined by Fran Drescher? <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Perry. The old couple just got cancelled, so... <laughs> Um, look, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I was saying earlier, because I feel like you said, we like Khaleesi Silverstone, and then we've just spent five minutes making fun of her. Uh, going back to what I said earlier, she really does work in this movie, and she's not the funniest character in this movie, but she's not supposed to be. And the character that she played, which I thought was annoying in 1999, now I do find hilarious, just because she perfectly represents this time period. We were saying, yeah. I was like, the snotty 90s, I hate everything girl, um, the the cynicism and everything, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, but this past time watching it, I was surprised, because you could ask anybody who knows me, if, if they were going to say, oh, you're, I'm going to be covering Blast from the Past on an episode, they're like, oh, I bet you're going to be, like, really sticking it to Elisa Silver something there. I'm watching this movie going, like, she's actually pretty good in this movie. Yeah, and it's... Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm being mean to her. I'm, I'm really not trying to be mean to her. <laughs> you just feel bad, right? <laughs> but it, it's almost kind of... Kind of going back to what I was saying about Brendan Fraser, it's, it's... I mean, it might be a little bit easier from this perspective, but I would almost say, like, well, who else could do this role? Again, late 90s actress, we, we were successful at finding them. But, <laughs> you know, um... I mean, look... <laughs> Let's kind of connect ourselves to 007. I'd rather see Alicia Silverstone as Dr. Christmas Jones than Denise Richards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, and seriously, Alicia Silverstone, outside of her acting, she she has a blog, thekindlife.com. Um, good for mm. her. Uh, she's also on Twitter. I'm just looking here. Um, and, I mean, look, it, again, in all seriousness, like, whenever they have these, like, specials about, like, you know, whatever happened to, um, you know, she's always on one of these ones where it's like, whatever happened to that person from the 90s? She's, like, the poster child of the 1990s actress who kind of had gone on really not to do a lot. Um, which is sad. Which, I mean, I, I honestly would like to know why, because was it the Batman and Robin factor? I mean, we know Chris O'Donnell really hasn't done much except what NCIS LA. I mean, George well, Clooney has. Just as one of the biggest shows of the last decade. <laughs> okay, well, fine. Chris O'Donnell, bad act, bad comparison. But... Look, I'm, I'm gonna say something else. Clueless was a movie for teenage girls at that age at that year and the problem is whenever you're making anything for teenagers they outgrow it so quickly and it doesn't translate well to the next batch of teenagers because everything becomes dated so quickly a 1995 movie for teenage girls probably was not cool by 1999 for teenage girls and you add to that the fact that the movies like the only movie you said uh, in there that I saw was XX Baggage that she did and, and Batman and Robin you know in between clueless and this and excess baggage is probably hands down one of the top 10 worst movies i have ever seen <laughs> and batman and robin i actually really like batman and robin just as a guilty pleasure just lost our um, audience not... again <laughs> <laughs> i said it's a guilty pleasure he likes the prequels but... <laughs> of star wars he likes batman and robin <laughs> um, I, look I, I just interrupt you again colin i'm with you i actually don't mind batman and robin either <laughs> there but she was not cast right in that movie. Yeah. And uh, I think if you're looking at everybody in Batman and Robin, you can find fun, campy moments with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can find fun, campy moments with Chris O'Donnell, fun, campy moments with George Clooney. Her stuff was just kind of bland in the movie. And I think, if anything, the, the highest profile movie she did, and she just wasn't bad. She was just a bland character in it. You know, Her audience had outgrown her 
by the time 1999 came around and the movies she had in between just didn't capture any new audiences. It's sad. It's sad to kind of look at all that. I feel so bad for her now. So do I. Like, I just, and that's again, Alicia, if you're listening, you probably are because you're like, somebody's doing something in one of the movies that people remember me for. Um, We love you. I honestly have never, I'm not Colin. I've never had a thing against you. Even when you did that whole (laughs) thing about putting like food into your kid's mouth, that was kind of weird. But like, I didn't, (laughs) have anything against you i think you're a very attractive (laughs) woman as well like that's great but like i've never seen clueless so i can't base my entire i'm sure that's all she gets i'm sure that's all she gets is these girls teenage girls who are now adults like i loved you in clueless and she's probably like have you seen any of my other movies (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, i just want to read something really quickly you said she has a blog i found a post on the blog here i just want to read Really quickly, maybe you heard this or not, but this blog post says, Our Adventure in Australia. Oh. And the first says, says that uh, she had a two-and-a-half-week adventure down under a little while back, and this is how the blog starts off. In Sydney, we loved this grocery store. There are several things awesome about this place. One, they have little carts for kids to use, which makes grocery shopping way fun. <laughs> Bear wanted to put everything in his car. Two, it's spacious with open doors and no rushing crowds. Shopping there wasn't stressful. <laughs> and two again. <laughs> she went one, two, and two. <laughs> we discovered several vegan treats that are divine. <laughs> well, that's that's all it is in Australia. <laughs> I'm actually looking at that post one, now. She looks two, very different. Like she's she's aged well. I mean, she's like forty now, but she's she's aged quite well. Alicia Silverstone. I'm guessing these are her daughter in there that is in the pictures with her. Uh, I don't know if that's who Bear is. Her daughter looks like her too. Wow. Yeah. I I, I just want to see this grocery store, and I want to know what happened to number three and why we have two twos in here. One, two, and two. I want to know if anybody's listening to us from Sydney, does she get recognized? I mean, this was only February 5th. Like, does somebody walk down the street in Sydney and go, you're Alicia Silverstone. Like, I probably doubt it, but that would be kind of cool if that happened. I mean, I guess positives of being a celebrity who nobody really knows anymore. She can probably okay. do this and nobody knows who she is. <laughs> we are well over an hour into this episode yes. and half an hour was spent on the montage and half an hour on Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> Let's get back to the movie. <laughs> we love this movie. Um, we've, we've met Alicia Silverstone, if you didn't uh, catch on to that bit. Uh, I've lost my notes. Where is it? Oh, there she is. Um, so I like how, you know, yeah, this shop assistant guy's trying to rip him off and because these cards are obviously worth a lot of money. And then we get Adam's first real, like, sort of, you know, he, let's be honest, he's got a boner at this point. Like, <laughs> you know, he sees Alicia Silverstone, like, wow, you know, beautiful. Um, and he starts speaking French. And what does he say? Oh, you're French. <laughs> French. <laughs> Typical. That's how you should always react to when you meet a French person. Well done, Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> um, but I like the, the throwaway line from the uh, the shop assistant douche guy when it's like, oh, Adam and Eve, you're perfect for each other. Because yeah. it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's well done that that's the fact that they're called Adam and Eve, you know, to start mm. the world over and all that sort of stuff. But um, I like the line the guy gives, muzzle fucking tough. <laughs> like, as he, you're finished in the hobby business. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, You'll not the hobby the business, not my career. <laughs> um, but this, I mean, they've got, look, they've got great chemistry. I don't know if you picked that up. I think they've got great chemistry, particularly when they're, like, walking outside and we've got this, like, first, uh, you know, real communication. What does he call, what does she call him, like, a dickhead or something like that? And it's like, yeah, a walking yeah, penis capable of speech and he collapses. <laughs> 
I just got this visual. <laughs> but she's like, again like funny things things you take for granted in 1999. You don't realize if somebody had never heard that before, yeah. how would you explain it to them? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like, I love the way she's like, "What is wrong with you?" The way like he collapses, and then you know we learn that she's supposedly psychic. You know, you're staying at the Holiday Inn, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and then, so he's trying to get a lift, basically, with her. You know, rule number one in North America, don't get in cars with strangers. Now, Colin, as somebody in North America, is that generally the first rule you were ever taught? Uh, yeah. I mean, as a young child, don't get in a car with strangers. To the point where I have had people drive up that I have met before <laughs> that will be like, if I'll be, like, standing, you know, waiting for a bus when I was younger uh, and they drive up and they'd be like, oh, hey, hop in. I'll be like, no, no, that's okay. Because I, meanwhile, I've met this person two or three times. Like, oh, that was a stranger danger. <laughs> so it's about rule number three in Australia. Rule number one is don't touch that. It's probably poisonous. And don't go swimming with crocodiles. Um, but I actually, when I was in Toronto, I had a stranger pull up and offer me a lift. True story. We were like, I think it was the last day we were there. We were waiting for our bus to take us back to the airport. And obviously this guy saw, you know, me and like Louise and all that standing with our bags. And this guy's pulled over and it's like, oh, going to the airport, eh? I can take you there. And it's like, no, no, we're fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Bloody Canadians that, being man. so polite. That, you know, the politest serial killers in the world. <laughs> I was going to say that man's name was... Where did we see him on the news? <laughs> can I please kill you, eh? <laughs> well, I, I just, I wanted to point out, I don't know if you're intending to get to it, but... The thing that made me laugh here the most is, again, how he's so fixated on guns. We're like, if he makes you feel any better, I don't have a gun. She's like, stay away from me. and starts running. Which is, I mean, again, true. And then he runs after her. <laughs> this is the 90s ghetto of Los Angeles. Like, come on. It's not a safe place for a young, out. attractive woman to be walking at that time of night. <laughs> I tried to match this later on in the movie, and I don't think it's the same area, but they walk past another porn shop here in this scene where i'm thinking like is he actually on the same street and didn't realize it the whole time but there's just there really are porn shops everywhere in la yeah i i thought that too actually but um yeah. when you were there or just watching this movie oh. <laughs> <laughs> i just don't think i saw a single porn shop in la i saw a lot in new york there was an area of new york i went to was like they were literally on every single corner i know i went into some but um it's <laughs> that's not funny that's disgusting ben grow up um right so we're <laughs> in the car with um so he basically, he she said, "I will uh, give you, uh, I will give you some baseball cards if you can drive me to the the hotel room." Basically, from that right. point, um, and then we get this Perry Como stuff. And he's like <laughs> changing through the stations, and I, like, I could die. Right I now. could die right now <laughs> over this. I don't know how many times. That's one of those quotable lines where. Just every once in a while, I could die right now. <laughs> but the best bit of this whole bit is like when he's like, oh, listen to this bit. It's where it really picks up. And it's like going where down. it really picks up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love the fact that Alicia Silverstone just starts speeding. It's like, oh, I just get so excited over Perry Como. <laughs> Perry always does this to me. <laughs> I could die. I could die, right? <laughs> um, but... Uh, look, I, I touched on it briefly. Do, do you agree? Do you think they've got good chemistry, or is that just me? Or are you just hating Alicia Silverstone still? <laughs> no, no. Again, like I, I, 
I'm enjoying it a lot more now than I used to. And maybe when I was younger, again, it was just kind of being plagued with, uh, you know, Clueless is such a girl thing. <laughs> but they work well together because they're doing opposites. They're not fighting for screen time. And this is where I think she deserves a little bit of credit. And I'm not saying that this is a, a knock against him or anything, but when Christopher Walken is on screen with Brendan Fraser, they're both trying to get laughs. And when Dave Foley's on screen, you know, with Brendan Fraser, he's trying to get laughs. And when she, when Lisa Silverstone's on screen with him, she's playing up on his jokes and it's, it's different. It's not two people fighting. So I think they do work well together and you buy it later on when they are into each other. And when they're fighting, even when they're fighting, you buy it. Like yeah. she fights with him, like somebody who's just denying that she wants him bad. And look, this is not in any way meant to be a sexist comment. So please do not take it this way. That's always a good way to start a conversation. But like, I mean, she, she plays sort of that, that, that woman character who I guess constantly changes and confuses Brendan Fraser a lot very well, sort of. And we'll get yeah. to those scenes. But like, you know, this is poor little naive Adam Weber, you know, never dealt with a woman before. And he's certainly picked a good one to deal with straight away. But like, we'll get to that. Like, again, yeah. that's in no way Your am I trying to say that's, you know, a wrong comment. I mean, you know, We'll get to that. Shut up, Ben. Um, (laughs) The one thing that I actually noticed, I I don't think I'd ever really noticed before this this time around, was um, the the reference to her last name was at Rustikov. And then later on, Christopher Walken is like, oh, is that Russian? And that that was not even close to Christopher Walken. (laughs) But, um, you know, like, which again, I guess is a good point because... Um, you know, clearly 1960s Americans really did not want anything to do with Russian people. So, you know, Chris Walken's still kind of stuck in that that way, isn't he? So, I don't know. I just noticed that this time around. I've never noticed that before. Yeah. I mean, that's it's later in the movie when that gets brought up. But what's funny is that when I saw this the first time when it was still playing, uh, where when it just came out in theaters, that line probably got the biggest laugh of the entire movie and it's not meant to be funny. Like, in the movie, I don't think they intended it for it to be funny until later on when he asked, is that Russian? But the audience was just so on board with this crazy guy <laughs> that was anti-Soviet that when he said, this is Eve Rustikov, the audience just, like, roared with laughter. That's just a Canadian thing. You guys get... still hate the Russians, so... <laughs> <laughs> it would have been interesting, like, it would have been interesting to be able to ask my mom about this because... You know, my uh, grandpa, her dad, was born in Russia and immigrated here as a child. So it would have been interesting to find out what was it like growing up in the 60s, <laughs> being the daughter of a man born in Russia. Wow. Wow. There you go. Didn't know that. There you go. You're, you're, you're quarter, quarter Russian, Colin. I'm quarter commie. You're quarter commie. <laughs> get, off this, get off this line. Um, so from here, it gets to the hotel. Uh, he gives her the card and just drives off. I love, I love this whole sequence of the hotel. You know, like I need to see a card. Oh, of course, shows a baseball card. And I love his interaction with what with the bellboy or whatever you call them. You know, yeah, like, you dial nine to get out. It's like, oh, of course. Out of what? First time away from home. How old are you? Thirty-five. You look like twenty-five. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, we age differently. Oh, what? Up on the 18th floor? Up here on the 18th floor. <laughs> and again, it's a good point that we see that because, again, he's been underground his whole life. He's never been up high anywhere. So that is going to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. How yeah. <laughs> How at this point? Um, Sorry if I interrupted you about to say something there, but look, we're get, no, getting excited. Um, We see him watching the woman on the TV. That's funny. But, like, when Alicia Silverstone comes back to the hotel... 
How does she know what room to like call? Like, does he, does she go up to the desk and say, Oh, have you got a weird boy looking man wearing a 50 style jacket? What room is he in? And would the holiday in staff easily just say, Oh, I know the person you're talking about. Like, does, does she know any other details about him to know what room to call? I mean, he just introduced himself by first name earlier, so probably not. But, like, the description, he sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, you could go on the bus and say, has anybody weird come on? They'd be like, there was this weird guy in a jacket that was screaming at people and had baseball cards, and everybody would know. I mean, it's not like he's blending in into the atmosphere at this point. And how busy is that hotel? Did you notice that in the lobby? Like... What time of night is this? So many. This is like the this is the Weber's party all over again. It's like everybody's there. It's a place to be. Yeah, they're having a pool party around the fountain in the lobby, apparently. <laughs> but I love this sequence when he comes down and he's like, "I've been watching TV in color." Oh, that is the single most quoted line that I have in this movie, and I probably get quoted it in the last week without before I even watched this. <laughs> Like, I've been watching television. Every time my wife asks, is like, what are you doing? It's like, or, or, or what did you do uh, while I was gone? I was like, oh, just watch some TV in color. <laughs> um, and also the bit when um, he's like, oh, you've got beautiful eyes or whatever. It's like, great. And I, man. Um, is, this yeah. isn't the bit where he's covering his mouth, is it? That's later on, right? Like, he's not. No, that is here. Oh, yeah. it is here now. Like, I, haven't like, I haven't brushed. <laughs> That's... But you also missed um, where she calls the room. And he picks up, and just the little details, like the fact that he doesn't know how to use a phone, so he's holding it about four feet from his head, (laughs) screaming into it. And then it's like, it's Eve, the girl from the baseball. Hi, diggity dog, thanks for calling me on the telephone. (laughs) Hi, diggity dog. Oh, God. This is the thing I miss about 60s culture, just the great sayings that they had. (laughs) Swell. Hi, diggity diggity dog. dog. Oh my goodness! We have we met, we haven't mentioned the hand. I know we sort of mentioned it, but like, what is that? I just want to go back quickly and mention the bit where they like. What does he do? He like punches his hand and clicks his fingers and then points at people. Yeah, like, what is that? Yeah, another, I did. I forgot about that being in the movie. And again, this just shows how sometimes one movie could have a big influence on like, like I said, things you quote and everything. I'm watching this past. I'm like, oh my goodness! I've been doing that to people for years, and I didn't realize where I got it from. Wow! I'll constantly be like. <laughs> it's just it's just a weird little thing like again the people who are listening to this who grew up in the six i mean let's be honest you're not listening to this because you're old and you don't listen to podcasts but <laughs> i i would like to know is that a thing did i just completely alienate our elderly listeners um actually seriously, a, if we have elderly listeners i'll be keen to hear from you a double snap clap finger point thumbs up <laughs> <laughs> perfect sums it up definitely um, so anyway, Alicia Silverstone is back. She wants to give the card back because she feels bad and kind of we get this whole, um, line there where she's saying about how it's only shallow guys that she falls for you. What is she like? Oh, I'm just a... What's it here? Yeah, that's it. Um, and I like that too. So, um, and, but from this point on, uh, Adam offers her a job to drive her around <laughs> and basically help get stuff. And I love how she's like, I need to make at least a thousand dollars a week. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's good work there, Alicia Silverstone. That's actually that's exactly what she says to this day when she goes into audition for roles. I need to make a thousand dollars a week. <laughs> need to go to Sydney and go to really cool grocery stores. <laughs> Alicia Silverstone, if you're listening, come to Hobart. We've got the same grocery stores as Sydney, right? Woolies and Coles. Come along. We'll go to a grocery store together. Bring your child. I'm sure we can chill. That'll be fun. <laughs> 
when when she was in the lobby auditioning with Mina Savari for American <laughs> Woman, they're collaborating together. How are we gonna get the most money? I know. We'll go in there. We'll say we each need to make at least a thousand dollars a week. <laughs> I just got this picture of Alicia Silverstone and Mina Savari walking up Hollywood Boulevard, just tapping people on the shoulder. Are you a producer? Put me in your thing. Do you remember me? Please put me in a movie. <laughs> Oh my god, we're horrible people! I like Alicia Silverstone! Again, I go back to five minutes before we start recording and Ben's saying, I figure we could probably get Alicia Silverstone on here, I'd love to have her on! I like like Mina Savari as well, like, I like both of them! (laughs) Who doesn't like her after seeing American Beauty? Uh, (laughs) Something nobody said after Excess Baggage. Um, we're so sorry one, one thing that like we get this whole sequence obviously you know he's got to um, go around and get all this stuff like 26 yacht batteries pipe tobacco uh, all these kind of things just want to point out going back to my point about if this was you know set in today's if this was set in 2017 Brendan Fraser's been arrested by Homeland Security at this point because like, yeah. <laughs> just the stuff he's buying, he's been tracked by the government, okay? It's like if you've ever seen Yes Man, how like he did that random, you know, flight and they basically thought, you know, they put two and two together and were like, oh, you might be a terrorist because, you know, you just randomly yeah. did this and, you know, had, was it, an Afghanistanian wife and all these kind of things like that. Like this would be happening in this movie if this was set a few <laughs> years later. <laughs> the innocent 90s, Colin, when you could do things that were remotely connected to terrorism and get away with it. <laughs> the innocence of the 90s when you could do stuff remotely connected to terrorism and get away with it. The quote of the Oz Network. <laughs> we should get Alicia Silverstone on to discuss the good old days. <laughs> I remember when you could buy fertilizer and explosive materials and not get arrested by the government. Those were the good days. <laughs> and we could walk into planes with box cutters and not get caught. Whatever happened to I've those classic jokes, times? But I don't think they're they're appropriate for air. Remember the days when you could watch Elisa Silverstone in a movie? Those were the days. <laughs> hey, remember the 90s? <laughs> um, now, where am I up to? Oh, they're, they're selling... The meeting of- oh, he wants to find a wife uh, at this point, isn't it? This is the... Help me find a wife... <laughs> I don't remember if that was before or after. I mean, there's a whole sequence here where he meets Cliff for the first time yep. and then meets Troy. Yep. Yeah, oh, that's true, yeah. Uh, was the, I think you kind of mentioned before about you've got a, a scene coming up with Troy. Is it the bit when he's like, oh, he's gay, by the way. Good for you. <laughs> well, good for you, yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, we try. <laughs> <laughs> I like Troy. Troy's good. Troy's a good side character. Um, there's really no one in this movie yeah. I don't like. I should point that out. <laughs> I'm just going to say, Brendan Fraser, I mean, he's, he's, I think, born in America, but raised partly in Canada. I, I think one of his parents is Canadian, so he holds dual citizenship and everything. He's kind of looked at, you know, at least here in Canada, as like a Canadian icon. Uh, same thing for the guy who plays Troy here, Nathan Fillion, who, I don't know if you're going to get to, you know, huge TV star, Firefly and Castle. Um, and Brendan, Brendan Fraser, Nathan Fillion, and then we have the third one here, Dave Foley who, strangely enough, is probably more famous in Canada than either of those two other guys who are massive movie stars and TV stars. Because uh, I don't know if you ever had the show The Kids in the Hall in Australia. No, well, I, I looked up Dave Foley because, like, I 
I kind of didn't know who he was, but like, you know, his name was prominent on the credits. And then, yeah, I looked him up and then to kind of see his career, I'm like, well, okay, this guy's actually more of a big deal than I know. But yeah, no, I've never heard of the kids in the hall ever. The kids in the hall, um, I think people in America would definitely know it because it, uh, it had a lot of TV coverage down there in the 90s. Uh, it, it was big in America. It's huge here in Canada. They've even had tours going across the country. Uh, and basically, it's five. you could look at it as the Canadian Monty Python, but for the 90s. And the thing that made them so funny was that they were five guys, and on their TV show, they would do these sketches and everything, and they'd always be dressed up as women. Which, for them, they said, well, that came down to the fact that there were five guys, and if we had to have a woman in a sketch, one of us would have to play them. So they just became known as for, like, cross-dressing and everything, and some of them being very convincing women. Uh, but Dave Foley went away from the kids in the hall for quite a while, and around this time, you know, he had done the TV show News Radio, which I'm a big fan of, and Blast from the Past. And he was away from the kids in the hall and eventually came back, and they were, like, touring Canada, and he has a sitcom on in Canada here, even though he's still fairly successful outside of Canada. I mean, it's funny because Brendan Fraser, like the Mummy series, Nathan Fillion Castle, Firefly, these massive shows. And yet, if you're in Canada, people probably hold Dave Foley to a higher regard than either of those other two guys. He played Stu in Will and Grace. There you go. I didn't know that. (laughs) I'm just looking at his filmography here. Uh, And he was Flick. He was the voice of Flick in A Bug's Life. There you go. The, the forgotten Pixar movie that everybody doesn't realise exists. <laughs> I like A Bug's Life. I feel bad for A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life is the Alicia Silverstone of Pixar movies. <laughs> you feel bad for everybody this week. But, but like, you think about whenever they people talk up Pixar movies, it's Toy Story, it's, you know, The Incredibles, it's, it's, it's Finding Nemo. Yeah. When does A Bug's Life ever get mentioned anymore? It's the bastard stepchild of Pixar. It's Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> <laughs> No, Alicia Silverstone is not a bastard stepchild, right? Alicia Silverstone is awesome. Hashtag Alicia Silverstone is awesome. Get it trending, people. Please, get on the show, Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> if we get an Alicia Silverstone interview, I'm going to start off by just like, Alicia, got to apologise. You are not a bastard stepchild. <laughs> we are so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry your career hasn't worked out that you're appearing on the Oz Network. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, do you, I, I, please stop me if I'm skipping over everything here because it's like, he, I feel like I am. I'm just going over stuff to talk about Alicia Silverstone. He's wanting a wife and what, the line that she says uh, that I tried to use at the beginning was like, I can get you laid in two weeks. And then when they're in that diner, it's like, what did you mean by getting laid? <laughs> I also like what she says, like, I can't remember the exact line, but something along the lines of like, marriage sucks the big one or yeah, something like that. That's so nice. And he's like, it does. Like, yeah. it's not like he's asking. He's like, it does. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is divorced. You know, it's the 90s. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, like, I like it when he says, what do you mean get laid? And all those people in the diner like turn around and look. <laughs> um, so I've got here, oh, this is the Cliff meeting, I think. When Like, what is he? Yeah. Asshole Cliff. And he's, uh, he's like, no, hang on. Yeah, Cliff. Cliff is, uh, Troy's the gay one. Cliff is the asshole one. Cliff is Nathan Fillion. Yeah. yeah. And he basically, when he says like, Oh, you came to get back your underwear? They're Ralph Lorenz. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, can we just point out the douchiest douche in the history of film when he utters a line about his new girlfriend, she's the model who went to Harvard? Now, now, look, yeah. no offence to people who are models, but, like, in what universe do models go to Harvard? <laughs> 
I mean, this um, is a movie about people where... underground for 35 years. This might be the most unbelievable thing in this movie. <laughs> I was about to say in the universe where a family grew up underground and came up being worshipped by a cult of people. <laughs> I mean, a model who went to Harvard is basically the dream guy, the dream girl for every guy. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe just for me. I don't know about you, Colin. You've got your dream girl. Ah, oh, hello, Jamie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it depends. Does this dream girl end up starring in Excess Baggage and The Babysitter? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Can we quickly just... Um, yes, go for just it. Just so we don't miss it the at the end of the movie when or at the end of the, yeah, all the way to the end of the movie i'm getting really tired here <laughs> <laughs> we're draining poor colin colin's had a long day <laughs> the end of this scene here where um uh you know he's saying, can i ask a question eve and it's like oh it's like okay we broke up because of this this and this and this and i'm shallow and all that and he's like i was just gonna ask why cliff is interested in wearing another yeah. man's underpants <laughs> reminded me of back to the future you know, the whole <laughs> Calvin Klein thing like that. Yeah, Calvin Klein. Um, to really date this and kind of like the, the references though, like it's is it when we get the exchange between um, Troy and Alicia Silverstone, it's like, it's like he's from the X-Files or something. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. just 90s references. But I love this the meeting with them when he's like, you have very nice ceilings. And then when he... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he brings out the food or whatever, and he's like, I love sushi. I love Lucy. <laughs> you also missed where he asked him, he's like, uh, it's like, you have great ceilings or whatever. It's like, are you a fan of ceilings? And he's like, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. Oh, my goodness. That's also um, uh, this is the part where whatever drink he's serving him, where Eve's like, I thought only hookers drank those. <laughs> well, I know mom sure likes them. <laughs> and this is the whole, where are you from? And the psychic, oh, you're from Alaska. Yeah. Um, we get the whole gay light. And then the best bit, when he's like, you know, questioning about the capital of Alaska, I'm going to go look that up on my computer. He has a computer in the house. <laughs> That's another one of those, like, in-colour moments. Where it's like, Will you excuse me for a moment? <laughs> Um, through all this, um, the, you know, Sissy Spashek goes up the elevator, um, just quickly. That's a fun scene. I forgot about that. I'm the mother. <laughs> yeah. The, the mother. Um, and... This is, I think, is this the one where we, just before she comes up, we have the followers now of the Church of yeah. Archbishop Melcher? Yeah. We're going, leave my elevator alone. Yeah. <laughs> leave my elevator alone. Why is he still referred to, like, on all the credits as Soda Jerk when he does get a name? <laughs> I was gonna let's let's just get on that now. I was saving this for later, but he's listed in the credits as Soda Jerk. Yeah. And meanwhile his name is Archbishop Melcher or whatever. And you you mentioned some of the other characters. This is just uh, the writers of this, like Hugh Wilson and whoever wrote this with him, Bill Kelly, uh, they just didn't want to name anybody because <laughs> going through the credits, we have Soda Jerk, Mom, um, <laughs> Calvin gets a name. Mom doesn't. Uh, this would, this would be Soda Jerk's mom, I guess. Young Psycho, Navy pilot, uh, guest, woman guest number one, <laughs> workman number one, workman number two, uh, as you said, streetwalker, bum, drunken hag, <laughs> Pakistani. Yeah, who is Pakistani? <laughs> I'm, I'm confused who Pakistani is. Old Jewish man, <laughs> Japanese produce clerk, bakery clerk, <laughs> 
Nobody has a name in this thing. My favourite here then, is if you go to rest of cast listed alphabetically, startled pervert. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that we also get Fidel Castro as himself archival footage uncredited. <laughs> oh, and he was. I heard he was so angry he didn't get credited for this film. I, I heard a rumor. It's just so un. I'm so offended. Um. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> we get we get the recovery line here, don't we, about the... Oh, the recovery? Oh, yeah, it only took six months. Like, they got the highway, the freeway up in six months. I, that's obviously what references to the, the LA yeah. earthquake of, like, the early 90s. Um, Is this the part where they come back after shopping and yeah. he's got the new clothes? Yeah. And he's all very <laughs> Can fashionable. Can I skate around your block? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, Eve? Can he skate around your block? <laughs> It'll only take a few minutes. <laughs> But we see him, he goes to the, the, he sees the ocean for the first time. That's a nice little scene, isn't it? Like He sees bums for the first time. He sees bikinis for the first time. <laughs> yeah, and we're kind of getting a bit of, you know, Alicia Silverstone. He's like, oh, you know, he's a bit all, bit of all right, you know. Um, we see him dancing to the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to the baseball. Finally, I understand it. Because he must. Because he must. Now, you the, have to see it to understand. This cheerleader. Since when are cheerleaders at baseball? Is that just America? Let's put cheerleaders at everything. It's, <laughs> it's not even a real baseball game. This is like you know some type of like uh, um, office place. <laughs> you know, annual baseball game, <laughs> company picnic, and they've got like professional cheerleaders. I just, I just, I, I love cheerleaders. Don't get me wrong. Believe me, I love cheerleaders. <laughs> but like. Baseball's not a sport where cheerleaders should be. <laughs> like it's kind of, maybe they're deliberately there because it's boring a lot of the time and they need to get excited. They're like, give us a B, give us an A, give us an L, give us an L. Ball! Uh, so kind of from here, I, I like to see when he's sitting in the rain because, I mean, you know, he hasn't had rain at that point, so that's kind of nice. I don't know why I put there. We've, we've uh, discussed at great length your uh, fandom of weather in movies. <laughs> Got to, got to call out the rain here. That's the star of this film. Um, and then they're going to go girl hunting. We get that nice little line, don't we, from him. He's like, you're my best friend, Eve. Oh, isn't that sweet? Um, yeah. But we, we go to the Club 40s, <laughs> which, you know. Oh, I love this sequence. It's, it is fun. Um, I like kind of all the interactions and- when it's like they're walking through the club. It's like, look unimpressed. Now, look this. Look that. Just be yourself. <laughs> Can we just do some screenshots for the website or something of all of his variations of unimpressed faces before he settled on Be Yourself with his big goofy grin? (laughs) The brilliance of Brendan Fraser that people don't pick up on. And then we kind of, we get this whole bit where they're like introducing him and it's like, he's from Alaska. Oh, like, is that a thing? Uh, Is is that like a thing people don't like people from Alaska? (laughs) And and again, something that took me two or three watches of this movie to get is when, uh, who are the two guys that they introduce them to? Jason and Jonathan. Yeah. Where he introduces them and it's like, hello, Jason and Jonathan. My mother told me that when you first meet somebody, (laughs) if you use their names right away, it's easy to remember it, Jason and Jonathan. And he mixes it up the second time he says their names. Oh, I didn't know. And I never noticed that. It took me two or three times to watch this to realize he's saying the name Jason and Jonathan, explaining how it's going to help him to remember, (laughs) and then he screws it up the next time he says it. (laughs) I didn't notice that. There you go. I have to go back and watch that. Uh, We meet this blonde woman. I don't know if she's got a name. I didn't write it down, but they start speaking French. And I love the fact that when they walk off... Wait, wait. 
Yes, you, you yes. said blonde woman. She's later. Sophie was the brunette. Oh, well, whatever. You know what I mean? She had big boobs. I was getting to that. <laughs> they were speaking <laughs> French, Colin. Have... I zone out. I'm like, ugh, French. <laughs> I'm, I'm betting the name Sophie is not in the credits here, and we're going to have to find her under something else. But um, I love the, the Troy line when it's like, when you fly to Paris, you have to check them, you know, carry them on. It's such a bitch <laughs> comment, but it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. But, like, when they're sitting at the table, they're, they're really picky, aren't they? Just the way they're like, oh, they've got bitch written all over them. Yeah. <laughs> I love his line. It's like, oh, bitch, blah, blah, blah. Oh, why would Cliff say that about you? <laughs> I Troy say that, or whatever and, it was. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. When we said, why would Cliff say that about you? And Troy basically does a spit take there. <laughs> um, I, I want to point out with this whole club here. Yeah. Another one of these things that you look back on it now and you could see this, you know, not like full full on satire, but how this works as um, a satire of the 90s now is in 1999. This was just a normal thing. Like 40 swing music became huge in the 90s. You yeah. had Zoot Suit Rye. some of the bands playing. Yeah, Zoot Suit Rye, like the Cherry Pop and Daddies, the Brian Sester Orchestra. And uh, I can't remember the, the song that's playing when they come in here. Um, uh, yeah. I, I heard it even. I've got it somewhere. I actually, I actually had the song. I downloaded it after seeing this movie last yeah, year. Yeah, the same. I, I did the same thing. I'm like, oh, remember that song? But yeah, like this music was huge, and I think it had a lot to do with the movie Swingers that came out a few years earlier. But if people were to look back on this now, they'd be like, well, that's some you know funny little throwback thing they're going to uh, like they're they're nineties. This was like not hipsters in the nineties. This was like mainstream. Yeah, Mr. Zoot Suit by the Flying Neutrinos. Uh, apparently, yeah. well known from uh, was it La- the Last Tango? Is that what I'm seeing here? Three to Tango, um, one of the great Matthew Perry movies, <laughs> and <laughs> Neve Campbell, another forgotten nineties actress. <laughs> she gonna be? Oh, can't wait till we get to that one. Starring with Nina Savari and Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> what the fuck that show was called? Uh, but I, I, I love this scene too. Like it's just, it's just fun. Like he goes, and I love it when he's trying to chat up the girl. What does he say when he? he... Excuse me, I, I seem to have misplaced my congressional medal of honor. <laughs> That's it. Uh, <laughs> hell, if that works, I'm going to try that next time. Uh, and, like again, little things that. Only if you really pay attention to the movie and realize there's sincerity with him, but other people wouldn't get where she says her name is Heather. And he's like, I don't believe I've ever heard that name before. And they just burst out <laughs> laughing as if he's making a joke. And meanwhile, for him, he's like, I don't know what they're laughing at. And then we get a lovely little dance sequence in the waving finger scene. <laughs> now, you've got a story, right? I want to hear this story. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I, I watched this this afternoon. Uh, my wife was out shopping with her mom. So I was watching my son, and he's he'll be a year old in, like, just to date this now, he'll be a year old in, I think, two weeks, or just under two weeks now. He doesn't pay attention to a lot of TV, or at least not for extended periods of time, and this movie's in the background the entire time, and I'm trying to watch it, trying to take notes. So he's getting into everything around the entire living room, and this scene comes on, and he starts watching the TV. I don't know if it was the music that was playing or whatever, but the dance scene comes on, and I just look and I see him smiling out of the corner of my eye. And then his smile gets bigger and bigger. And then as Brandon Frazier starts doing the little finger wag thing, <laughs> he points to the TV, looks at me and starts babbling. Ah, that, 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 that. <laughs> so I think he had the exact same reaction to your friend that saw this for the first time. The only part of this scene ended and he couldn't have cared less, but he loved the dance sequence. Well, there we go. Brandon Fraser dancing and pointing his finger. <laughs> He's a... 
is an extremely uh, memorable scene for some people. So uh, there you go. I like I like it when um, I've really, really this is going back to my comment where I've said like I'm not meaning to be sexist. I'm not going to read out one of the comments I've written here, but I've written here like why is Alicia Silverstone just so angry all of a sudden? She's just like full on screaming at Brendan Fraser like, but. It's not really a sexist thing. I mean, the thing that I think works about this movie is that she is a more realistic female character. That's right. And that she's jealous but doesn't want to admit it. And I think you could have a male character doing the same thing. And this is where I appreciate a lot more. Maybe now because I'm married, you know, I can get just this anger where she has it. It comes out of nowhere. And the scene that follows, again, we'll get to that in a second. I love but it. Does I'm happen. married. This anger can just come out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound bad. I'm not going to get in trouble for that. Hi, Jamie. Happy listening. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, it legitimately does happen. I think it happens with guys, too. It's just different. But yeah. it's a very realistic portrayal of men and women in this movie. You know, we have an extreme example with Brendan Fraser. Um, but even with Troy, it's just it's a very re- realistic gay character. And yep. they're all smart characters. And there's all there's a lot more going on in this movie than just some cheap love story. I mean... It, it's so deep and insightful. They <laughs> should study this at Harvard with all the models. <laughs> all the models at Harvard would be studying this movie. Uh, I love when Cliff comes back and it's like, well, hello, Cliff. <laughs> like, he's so polite. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I love the, the whole sequence here when he goes up to the bar. And I mean, he's experienced, this is, I guess, Brendan Fraser experiences jealousy for the first time. Yeah. Um, and then I love this fight sequence. <laughs> <laughs> it particularly starts off with Brendan Fraser saying, isn't he a butt with hair? <laughs> is he just a butt with hair? <laughs> but the fight is so cool. I mean, it kind of going back to what you were saying about there's so many little subtle references at the beginning of this film that come back later on. Like, he's being taught boxing, and here he is just like, yeah. having this fight. I love how calm the bar staff are. It's just like this fist fight going on. Okay, is this because it's a 1940s theme? Like, everyone just fought in bars in the 1940s? Um, yeah. But it's just it's just well, a well done, this sequence. It's like this punch-up, but it's done really well. Again, it's so much isn't just the delivery that uh, Brendan Fraser has, too, but when Cliff's, like, trying to punch him in, he just, it's just these short little jabs, and it just looks funny that he's barely touching him and he's knocking him out, and then he's like, maybe we shouldn't fight here, and he's like, I agree, and then he hits him again, <laughs> and then he's like, Maybe we shouldn't fight at all. I mean, it's pretty immature if you think about it. And he goes, it certainly is. <laughs> uh, well, from here, the leash is still... <laughs> Eve goes home with Troy. We learn later on that uh, Adam's gone somewhere else. I like the whole sequence here. Like, we're basically discovering here the leash is still is in love with Brendan Fraser. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Um, and then when basically she's like, who did he go home with? Oh, Sophie. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, where where he's like, are, are you going to go down there and like kick in her door or whatever? And then he's like, are you coming? Is a no. <laughs> I think Sophie would murder me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then, of course, Brendan Fraser shows up and then scares the shit out of Alicia Lowe when she like <laughs> screams and gets out of the car. Ah! <laughs> I love the line. What does she say when she's like, you're meant to be having unsafe sex with that slut Sophie. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but then we get this really interesting scene. Never have I seen sexual chemistry between uh, characters on a movie before putting a Band-Aid on. 
It really does It work. does, though. It's like you think of the iconic scenes like this, you know, the pottery scene in Ghost, um, you know, Jack and Rose on the, the deck of the Titanic getting painted and then having sex in a car, Alicia Silverstone and Brendan Fraser getting a Band-Aid put on a knee. <laughs> Are you gonna try this one day? <laughs> Absolutely. This is. I'm gonna. That's my goal in life. The next time I'm on a date, let's let's rephrase that. If I'm ever on a date again, <laughs> I will. I will make sure that I can end the night by having them graze their knee and suggestively putting on a band aid. I'm sorry. I just pictured this the opposite way, with you basically having a ripped pant <laughs> and some girl like caressing your knee and blowing on it. In a bad day. <laughs> oh, if it's Alicia Silverstone, I'm down for it. We can buy Alicia. If you're I listening, we can buy them at an Australian supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> they carry them in packs of one, two, and two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to say I visualized Ben just constantly popping in women's windows, <laughs> scaring them. <laughs> Yeah, that scene, that scene when she gets out of the car and screams, that is how I try to pick up women. No wonder I'm still single, all right? I just randomly, uh, oh, there's a girl in the car. Hello! <laughs> ah! um, I just want to say, Dave Foley doesn't get nearly enough credit for how good of an actor he is. Like, he's first and foremost a comedian. I mean, that's what he's always been, a comedian, and... Most of the acting he's done has been like sitcom work. Uh, he has a show called Spun Out here in Canada now, which which he's kind of playing like a very over the top, you know, boss like something you would see with, like Steve Carell in The Office. But he has like some dramatic scenes here that are really good without them being overly dramatic. Like this, he basically becomes the voice of wisdom to both Eve and Adam here. You know, when he's talking to her and where he goes to that whole speech about you know, gentlemen and ladies and everything. <laughs> He's like, I thought uh, a gentleman was a guy that owned horses or something. <laughs> um, but even when he's talking to Adam later, like, it's a really nice scene where, you know, he's freaking out again. This is the scene I keep talking about where y- you understand it if you're a guy where, where she's freaking out. And you're like, I all I did was this. And then I just did this. Yeah. And then she started screaming. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. It's not your fault. I know, I understand. <laughs> but then when he says that that line about, you know, you're a nice boy. She needs a nice man. And he just, like, something snaps in him. And then the rest of the scene, Brendan Fraser, like, he's he's really playing this, like, you know, stop being a baby and everything without being a jerk about it. Like, the scene really, these two scenes really work well on a kind of funny, dramatic level. And just to point out, Brendan Fraser's reaction when he's like going, but then she's mean and she does it. That's man's reaction to women anywhere. Like, like I don't get it. Yeah. Why she, what did I do? <laughs> exactly. And Troy, I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, just in this scene, uh, it shouldn't really matter because you're absolutely right. It does work. And I like the, the little sweet bit when um, he says something about the Perry Como song and she's like, sing it to me. <laughs> yes, yeah, sing it to me. <laughs> And then they kiss. Oh, and then what did she say? Like, have you ever had sex before? Um, yeah, you know, sure. Um, that's, that's romantic. Um, not as mentally. And then he gives her the speech about the bomb. So yes, we learn. Well, she learns the truth, and I think she reacts kind of how you probably would. Um, 
And basically, she kind of what clears her throat. It's like, I'm going to go to bed now. (laughs) (laughs) And he thinks he's won. He walks out and he's clicking his heels together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He thinks, you know, 1960s, that's getting lucky. All right. (laughs) (laughs) He goes home. It's like, I got to third base last night. I totally got with that chick. (laughs) Uh, so, and this is kind of the scene though when he's driving around with Troy and, and he sees the adult bookstore. <laughs> There's an adult bookstore back there. No, that's also where it's like, I took the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then he, 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 I like that. And then he goes in Joey Slot and he collapses again. Because <laughs> yeah. he finds his house. Give us a sign. <laughs> he just walks in. He like waves really quickly, like awkward, like, hey, and then just walks yeah. out. But of course, from this point on, we go back to Eve's house and uh, she's called in the psychiatrists. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, would, would psychiatrists want to condemn a, a man who's 35 years old for telling that story? Or is that, I don't know. Well, I mean, like, in all fairness, they're saying they want to talk to him at this point. And the way he comes about, like, there's, there's certain things in this movie where everything makes sense. Like I said, from Christopher Walken's point of view, you know, and even Sissy Space's point of view, you understand that they think this is the apocalypse still. From the psychiatrist's point of view, he comes in and they're they're talking about, you've been in a, bo- a bomb shelter your whole life. And then he starts saying stuff like, I didn't know where home was and I found home now. Can I please go home? Mm. At that point, you think this man has a screw loose yeah. because he's he's like a child. So at fir- when they first say, yeah, we just want to talk to him, it's probably legitimately what they want to do. And then at the end, they're like, you know, he starts running from us. Like, we'll go catch him. The overweight guy that couldn't keep up. And this this could be another one of these random little scenes up there with the bus and the grocery store. The woman is so awesome. Like, yeah. my car! That's my car! It's like, starts trying to choke Don't the ask guy. them, they're crazy, isn't it? <laughs> and we're just like, where the hell have you been? When Adam runs past the last time, too, and Eve finally gets it, where she's like, uh, um, you know, maybe this guy is the real deal. Like, she said, we know later in the, the other scene to come, that's where she really gets what well, he's telling the truth. Yeah. But she starts to believe, at least at this point, that he believes this. When he's like, uh, uh, Troy, th- thank you for always being happy. And he's like, what? And she's like, gay. <laughs> But I also like the bit like, there I when, get it now. when she when she says something like about you know oh I find the kindest nicest richest guy to have him committed yeah. or whatever and then what did she say like at least I fell in love with him before I found out that he was rich because that's when yeah. we get the scene the throwaway scene when they're in the hotel room right and he's got all the stock stocks yeah. you know like IBM. they find the toothpaste stocks yeah it's um and then what is what is the bit there when like he's like oh he got really excited over an adult bookstore and it's like he got excited over porn adam was excited about porn now now we should like I, one of the trivia things i actually read about this and i it's really easy to notice is when they're in that porn shop how everything is blurred out because they had to try and keep like the i don't know the pg-13 or whatever this was rated and you can't really show oh, explicit pictures yeah go back and watch it like it's so obvious as soon as you find that fact out you look at the magazines in the background and the videos and they're just so blurred out speaks a lot to which one of us is married and which one of us is true currently looking for a date the <laughs> guys are like what do i have that issue i might see some boobs in the background <laughs> um i also want to mention that how great this guy is here where uh they come in 
to the shop and jumping on the floor and everything. And like, do you have a basement? It's like, trust me, all the good stuff is right up front. <laughs> and then he's like, do you have a back door? Are you kidding? Of course. <laughs> and the creepy guy who's got all like the videos. And he's... <laughs> Um, look, I just, I'm going to tell a really weird porn story here in terms of an adult oh, shop no. story. Hang on, hang on. That was a bad way to phrase it. I'm going to tell a really adult, weird adult shop story. So, like, a friend of mine, like, when we were sort of, like, 18, 19, we just had this weird thing where we would buy each other, like, really inappropriate presents for, like, our birthdays. So, one time we went into, like, the one adult shop in Hobart, basically, and, you know, I don't know if you've... I, I couldn't imagine you've been in one, Colin. You seem too innocent for that. I don't know. You can correct me on that. But, like, it's an awkward experience going into one of those stores if you've never been into one before. Hobart being Hobart, there, of course, is a guy working there who I know, uh, to which, you know, you start getting into a conversation <laughs> with him. And just a bit of background, in Australia, it You're is... Like a- Uncle John? <laughs> <laughs> Mum, I didn't know you worked in here. Um, but, like, so in a, in a lot of Australian states, certain types of pornography is illegal. It's, like, only a certain level of explicitness you're allowed to see. And I guess we just got into a conversation about this. And then he's like, oh, no, we sell the good stuff. Come out the back. And I'm like, what? And so, like, he's taking me out the back into this shady room where there's, like, bins filled with, like, the really hardcore DVDs to which he's left me in a room. There's a man in this room in a business suit. I'm so, like, what the hell do I do now? And this guy looks at me and goes, there's some pretty good stuff in here, isn't there? And I'm like, don't talk to me. Like, that is inappropriate. (laughs) So I just left. I'm like, I can get this on the internet for free, all right? I'm leaving. (laughs) One of the most awkward experiences of my life. There you go. Yeah. Anyway. Um, (laughs) There's another part here. Oh, yeah, we don't want to skip past when Adam goes back down uh, to the shelter and meets his parents when he goes with Archbishop Belcher here. I was chased by a psychiatrist. It happens. (laughs) I think I'm being chased by a psychiatrist. And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then... <laughs> when... <laughs> it's like, how bad is it up there? And then Brendan Fraser's about to be like, it's not bad. And then, and then Joyce Hoffman's like, it's horrible. <laughs> and is that when he says that, like, you've got something on your head? I know. <laughs> you've got something on your forehead. I know. <laughs> We need to get Joyce Lockley on just again to give us a dramatic recreation of that sequence. <laughs> Which again, like, if people want to go listen to the interview, it's interesting for him to tell um, the story about how long it took to get in that makeup. And then there were several times where the director, <laughs> Wilson, called in sick after his makeup had been on. It's like, well, I just spent four hours <laughs> sitting in a chair getting a tattoo on my head for nothing. <laughs> Typical Hugh Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Just always does that. Um, the, the- but they're also... Um, uh, I want to quickly talk about when they're loading, because I just love all this leave the elevator alone stuff. When they're loading stuff out of the truck uh, into the, the shelter, and there's the guy with the drum to keep them on beat. Leave my elevator <laughs> alone. Leave my elevator alone. <laughs> it's a very popular religion. That's how Scientology was formed, I believe. It just... You know- <laughs> Xenu or whatever it is came out from underneath the ground. So. It's like New Age Harry Krishna. Stuff. <laughs> Tom Cruise is their number one spokesman. 
<laughs> the one the one bit that I, I would say this entire film that I don't understand why they do it this way and it kind of irks me is then when we get this scene of like uh, Alicia Silverstone <laughs> drinking with... Are you going to say the slow motion? The slow motion. Yeah. Yes! How do we always do this? this is, oh, we were connected! Look at this! We're, we're, we're kindred <laughs> spirits! Yes, I don't get this! It annoys me, this scene! This yeah. Like, okay, if, if people aren't understanding what we're yeah. saying here, it's funny because <laughs> every time we cover something, there is something that I'm assuming as watching it, there's no way Ben picks up on this. And then Ben will be like, do you know what was the weirdest thing about it, But... When she's driving down, they think they're never going to find Adam again. And she sees him, and it's going in slow motion. He's walking in slow motion. And she says, Adam, in slow motion. The door. Her voice is not in slow motion, but she's moving in slow motion. Like, if this were real slow motion, it would be... <laughs> Which I know sounds stupid, but it looks just as stupid to know what slow motion is and hear somebody talking at normal volume. I just, it just doesn't, I don't think it just fits the film. It just kind of comes out of nowhere that here we got this slow motion scene. It's like, what? This is the jump the shark moment yeah. of Blast from the Past. <laughs> it's just, and the, the thing, you know, the one thing that annoys the shit out of me is she drops these box of like thousand dollar baseball yep. cards on the ground. They're worth thousands, you stupid woman. <laughs> now they're worth only hundreds. <laughs> I guess she's like, oh, well, he's got all those expensive IBM stocks. Yeah, they know all the stocks now. <laughs> so, let's burn this one just for the fun yeah. of it. How much is this worth? A million dollars? Oh, let's burn it. Um, <laughs> they kiss. Oh, it's, it's nice. But I guess kind of from this bit, it's sort of, you know, heading into the conclusion. Like, they go back under the ground, you know, let's meet uh, <laughs> Eve. And, um, you know, we're going to, you know, lock. Was it for three months, they say? Two months. Uh, two months, um, yeah. And... Uh, at this point, I've written, they can build a house in two months? Of course, that basically gets answered in about five minutes. So, <laughs> shut up, Ben. But I like this whole dinner sequence. Like, I like, you know, even Shishishbeshek in the kitchen. And it's kind of like, oh, by the way, I'm from Pasadena. I'm from Pasadena. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's sweet. It's a nice little scene. Can, can I mention the other thing that takes me out of the movie at this point is that suddenly where there has been no narration in this movie, mm. there enters in five minutes of, of not Adam, but Eve doing the narration for everything at the end of the movie. And it's not narration of, so what happened next was, it, it's her narrating to herself. It's like her inner thoughts. And you thought your parents were weird. Like yeah. it, it, it really does feel kind of weird on the end here. This was her audition uh, for Space Dog's Adventure to the Moon. It was her voice acting. <laughs> this, is, this is what got her a line, uh, a role in that movie, like 17 years later. Uh, I like, what's that line that uh, Adam says? He's like, um, oh, if I can ask you to trust me without asking why, of course. <laughs> like, yeah. I wish that worked all the time. <laughs> That's- How about the sperm? It swims into the egg. <laughs> because of musts. Uh, I'm going to use that line next on my next date. Oh, can, you, can we do something without asking you why to trust me? <laughs> Probably get arrested if I did that. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> basically, yeah, to answer my question about how can they build a house in two months, we get the narration about how you can basically do anything when you can say hey, you what know, it costs. Quick comment on that. I'm, I'm going through a, a course right now, and one of the things in it was you know talking about uh, it was a case study of this challenge that was given. I guess it was some reality show several years ago or a documentary several years ago where they gave several people a challenge and said, you know, 
get a house built as quickly as possible and you basically have unlimited funds and what would it take to get it built in they got it built in something like two weeks and it cost like an obscene amount of money but it was proven possible that that an entire house could be built like a 2,000 square foot house in two weeks just by having enough money so this this is legit. This checks out. This isn't a plot hole. Well, uh, I should also mention in Australia our fantastic shows where they want to build shit and like you know renovation reality shows. They always get built in like a short amount of time. So, you know, they always have like a like weekend. Twenty two minutes most of the time. Yeah, well, exactly. It's very quick. But <laughs> just just on a quick complete side note, I mean, we're nearly at the film. But I've just looked at Alicia Silverstone's filmography. I'm not laughing just at a film. I mean, I am laughing at a filmography. But she was. <laughs> She was in. A, she's in a movie uh, in 2013 called Ass Backwards. Uh, just looking at who's in this movie, so she's only third build star in this film behind the great June Diane Raphael and Casey Wilson. But she's also in this movie. You got John Cryer from what Two and a Half Men. You got Vincent Don Don. How do you say his name? Don Frio. I can't even say his name properly. D'Onofrio. Yeah, that's it. Um, and Bob Odenkirk, of course, uh, you know, people know from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So, like, there's a few decent-named people in this film. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is yeah, I just thought, ass backwards. What sort of film is that? I, you know, I just want to mention, she's got another one coming out this year called The Killing of a Sacred Deer <laughs> that co-stars Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. That sounds like a pretty big role. Well, I mean, taking Nicole Kidman out of that, again, Colin Farrell, whatever happened to him? Let's put him in a random movie. (laughs) (sighs) Until I see her, like, starring alongside, I don't know, Brad Pitt or um, Chris Pratt. (laughs) Can I also ask, what is with her doing animal movies all of a sudden? She's She's vegan. She uh, likes animals. Space Dogs, Adventures to the Moon... (laughs) Uh, she had King Cobra, Catfight, and Who Gets the Dog. All of these in the last three years. I'm so intrigued, Colin. Who got the dog? <laughs> um, King Cobra I'm is not the... Oh, there, cause there was another King Cobra on one of those really, like, B-listing animal giant snake movies. But just looking here, King Cobra is a crime drama film about the Ripped early... from the headlines drama covers the early rise of gay porn headliner <laughs> Sean Paul Lockhart, <laughs> a.k.a. Brett Corrigan. Another one with James Franco in it. She likes to be... Oh, and <laughs> and also looking at the, the cast list of these, speaking of whatever happened to them actors, Christian Slater is in this film. <laughs> <laughs> We just need to do an episode on, like, let's rip shit in to these actors. 2016, I said that other movie, Catfight, she's in, co-stars Anne H. (laughs) You know how they're, like, the Expendables is, like, let's get all the action stars together. They just need to do the, let's get all the actors who aren't in work together. Starring Alicia Silverstone, Christian Slater. (laughs) Oh, my God. Now I'm just clicking through her filmography trying to find other failed 90s actors. (laughs) How are we still talking about her? Why are we making fun of the 90s? I mean, what about the failed 80s or 70s actors? It's just the 90s that seems to get the shit. Didn't we do this podcast in part because we did love the 90s? I do love the 90s. We do love the 90s. (laughs) Anyway, so the movie's wrapping up. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like the scene though in the narration. I like the bit with Joey Slotnick when he's like yelling at people, like what they're building the nightclub or whatever it is. I want one of my guys at the front door. <laughs> I want full ownership downstairs. <laughs> Oh, uh, and then we get uh, the, the, so essentially the two months to build a house. They've basically recreated their house from what it was and built it out in the wherever that is. Um, and it's a nice little gesture, obviously, for Adam and everything. And uh, we get the scene when he breaks the news to Christopher Walken about it. Um, and then they, what do they say? The line about just let's not tell your mum. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I also want to say my probably in my top five favorite Christopher Walken quotes is from this movie. Like we're talking, I'm not talking like, okay, great lines, but you know, how Christopher Walken will have these lines that the way he delivers, it just sounds great. Mm. And hands down. One of my top five favorites is the one where he goes, our evil empire has collapsed. Poor us. <laughs> I like it when he goes, commies. <laughs> commies. commies. <laughs> um, and also the line I forgot. It's like, the Palpiro one day just said, we give up. <laughs> we give up. I like the the lie there when they um what is, what does Chris Walken say something about like oh this is uh, this isn't that different or whatever and Sissy Spacek is like no Calvin this is different <laughs> same as the line earlier yeah it's like, it's not that much different from the bomb shelter yeah <laughs> uh, but that basically closes it off so essentially they've they've built the house uh, Adam and Eva are in love um, and we end with Randy Newman which I guess is a very nineties. <laughs> Way to end a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's no I Love LA from Volcano, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag bring back Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there we go. Blast in the past. Do you have anything else to add that we haven't covered? Um, No, just like I said, I think this movie ages much better than it should. Uh, and I don't know if that's just because they, they understood the 90s at a time when most people just thought the 90s was normal and they realized maybe it isn't that normal. Um, you have such a good cast in here and uh, like I said, it is the perfect one we could start off with Brendan Fraser because everything he says in this movie is hilarious. I mean, I love watching it. It's, like I said, it's been about five years since I saw this the last time. I'll probably watch it a lot more frequently now because this is more more than likely the most I've ever enjoyed this movie. No, we shouldn't. We should. We touched a little bit on the reviews about how kind of it, you know, as held, oh, held up. I have a good one. It, um, I mean, it really kind of got mixed reviews at the time. Um, it holds a 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic, it's 48%. Roger, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four, saying the movie is funny, entertaining in all the usual ways. Yes, but I was grateful that it... That it I, but I was grateful, I can read, that it tried for more, that it was actually about something that it had original premise, that it used satire and irony, and had sly undercurrents. Uh, now, before I mention the box office, did you have something else to add there? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, were you going to mention the box office? <laughs> no, no, no. When people when people will Google this, if you look at, I don't know if it's always going to be the same thing, but if you look on the right, they have like blast from the past and the statistics. It shows box office, and everything, and so it shows critics reviews. I just want to read not the full review, but the first line it shows for the very top review. Neil Minow of Common Sense Media says this leisurely comedy has no surprises or special insights, but it does have attractive performers, and in brackets, including Dave Foley as Troy, the gay best friend. <laughs> wow. Attractive performers, and he feels the need to single out Dave Foley as the attractive <laughs> performer, as the gay best friend. Wow. 
good, good, you know, back in the 90s when you could get away with saying stuff like that. Um, <laughs> box office-wise, though, this was a bit of a bomb. Um, $35 million it cost to make this film. Only- well, 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 I mean, again, like, you, when you're looking at comedies, it's different because comedies cost almost nothing to make. And I, when, when people say something's a bomb, I mean, yeah, it didn't make the same amount of money that George of the Jungle made, but, I mean, George of the Jungle is going to play big to you know an, an audience of kids didn't make the movie the mummy's gonna make but the mummy cost a hundred million dollars i mean this movie couldn't have cost more than 40 million or whatever it is it made well it yes it, it made 40 million around the world 26 million domestically um but it's funny so obviously we were talking about the fact that hugh wilson went on to do dudley Dura. so he, he did two brendan fraser movies in the same year you want to talk about bombs? Uh, Dudley Do-Right. No. $70 million. That cost $70 million. How? It was basically a Mountie on a horse. <laughs> it, made, it made $9 million back. I mean, that, I just blame Sarah Jessica Parker. And no, she wasn't the horse. There was another horse in the film. But it's... it's I'm just looking here. It's, <laughs> the box office career of Brendan Fraser. It comes in at number 11, Blast from the Past, $26 million, just ahead of Looney Tunes Back in Action, and just below Bedazzled. That only made $37 million. Oh. Again, I think if you're sandwiching it between those two movies, Bedazzled was definitely a more expensive movie that had higher expectations. Obviously, Looney Tunes, more expensive movie, higher expectations. And this one, I, I mean, I wouldn't consider it to be a huge hit, but I, I would say this is more like a break-even movie. You know, when you're comparing it to the other ones, it probably did much better for its budget than those two did. Well, he's been in five movies that's grossed over $100 million. Uh, obviously, three mummy movies are involved in that. George of the Jungle was $105 million, and then Journey to the Centre of the Earth, $101 million. Although he had a cameo in G.I. Joe, The Rise of the Cobra. Uh, oh, so it was a good cameo too. I, I have never seen it. Um, but just what's his lowest grossing film? Um, Porn Shop Chronicles, as in P A W N, not P O R N. Um, oh. <laughs> released in 2013. Like, he went in there with the nerve gas and everything. <laughs> made eight thousand and eighty-eight dollars. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a, what a hit that was for Brendan Fraser. Um, it had Elijah Wood in it and Vincent DeFrino again. Wow. And I bet you if he made a pilot for a TV show, it would get picked up. <laughs> Paul Walker was in it too. Wow. Okay, this must have been a huge film. It just bombed big time. <laughs> Eight grand it made. Anyway, um, if we don't really have much else to add, I guess we've got to rate this. What are we, what are we buying it, renting it, or bidding it? Uh, again, how opinions change. When it first came out, I probably would have said rent it because that's what I did. I didn't own it when it first came out. But now, like, this is hands down on the shelf. This is an owner for sure. I, the, the fact that we've spent more time covering this than any of the other movies we've done, <laughs> that says something. Because every line in this movie is hilarious and the story really works, and it makes sense, and the characters work, and it's got a great cast. So I, I love this movie. Yeah, no question. This is definitely on the shelf. Buy it. Um, as I said earlier, this is just one of those films that's kind of like you just always love whenever you want to watch it. I mean, I want to watch it again right now, and I watched it you know, just recently, so yeah. clearly <laughs> that's why we've covered it. But yeah, I, I just think it's one of these films that I could just never get sick of, and... 
you know, it, it brings me back to a happier time, Colin. A happier time where Brendan Fraser was relevant and Alicia Silverstone was still acting in films that people watched. So um, I thought you were going to say 99 and a happier time where everyone was cynical and everyone was angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess also the happier times of, you know, bringing box cutters onto planes. I don't know. <laughs> back when everything wasn't so politically correct. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but, yeah, it... it We've done a Brendan Fraser movie. I'm happy. What what more is there to yeah. say? And there's more to come. Like like you said, I think there were four if people want a tease. And this isn't something we're going to be bringing you one per week. We have other things we have to cover. Um, we're hoping to do the Spider-Man movies coming up before the new one. But when we do have time, we'll be coming back to Brendan Fraser for sure. And what were the other ones we decided? We for sure oh, wanted Dazzled, to do sure. The Dazzled and... Uh, Dudley Do Right, which is one I've never seen. As I said, that's Canadian. One's kind How of... have you never seen Dudley Do Right? I thought because that's like you're born. He's Dudley Do Right. <laughs> I will say for Dudley Do Right, that's something that Canadians probably avoid completely, just because it, it. Not that not that like we take it seriously, but the fact that there are countries in the world that believe that's what our police officers are like, and it's like that's what they were like 150 years ago. Well, you talk that's about quotable like- movies. That is one that I would randomly drop quotes. It's just there's just this line in it when um you know he he's there with Sarah Jessica Parker, and I can't remember what Sarah Jessica Parker says. She says something like, "Wow, it's so beautiful." And, <laughs> and Brendan- <laughs> She's a horse, not a goat. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Brendan, Fra- <laughs> Brendan Fraser says a line. It's like. This is Canada, Nell. Things are real up here. <laughs> like, I used to just always say that. And then, um, just, I think I've mentioned this scene before when it's just, they, they come across these initials, like, shot into a building when Brendan Fraser as Dudley Drew, like, turns into a rebel. It happens. Um, there's, like, this two giant D's in the door and, like, the mate, Alfred Melita, who's snidely whiplash. He's like, DD, what does that mean? Uh, uh, David Duchovny. David, uh, D- Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> they just come up with all these things that oh, start yeah. with D. You've mentioned that many times. Uh, it's, just, yeah. it's like, l- let's be honest. It's a pretty terrible film, but it's just, <laughs> it's so bad. It's good. It's just so over the top silly that it's just, okay. I just love it. It's just, to me, like, if I had to rate Dudley Durant versus George of the Jungle, there's a weird comparison I never thought I would have to discuss as a, you know, a, an analysis of film. I'd probably rather Dudley Durant just because it's, it's sillier than George of the Jungle and just, I don't know, it's just fun. George of the Jungle's fun. I don't know, I'm getting excited for Dudley Durant, Colin. Shut me up. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to put out there, I will gladly cover Dudley Do-Right, even though that's kind of, you know, uh, a joke here in Canada. (laughs) But we have to cover Airheads at Uh, some point, which is right on level with this as far as quotability, as far as I'm concerned. And such an underrated movie. I don't know why people make fun of that movie. I think that's one of Adam Sandler's best uh, performances and movies. I love that movie. I could quote it all day. Amazing. We have to cover Airheads as well. And then let's be honest, that's not a sentence that's uttered that much anymore in 2017. One of Adam Sandler's best. Um, <laughs> and that's been mentioned since the time uh, Blast from the Past came out. So <laughs> um, we'll get to it. Uh, yeah, as, as Colin mentioned, we're, we're hoping to do the Spider-Man one soon. We've, I feel people think we've been neglecting our movies and going into TV shows a little mm-hmm. bit. But look... We're, we're a diverse podcast. We like to cover both sides, and we've maybe just been a little bit more focused on TV than film. We're getting there, people. Um, but yeah. <laughs> we, we love you, and Alicia Silverstone, we also love you. And the offer is there. I will take you to a local supermarket and buy some Band-Aids, you know? Um, 
I'm sure we could listen. If you if you like the grocery store <laughs> in Sydney, wait until you see the one in Hobart. <laughs> and I'm sure we can like pop into a local video store. They might have a couple of your films there. We could like rent and watch. Like why not? Um... <laughs> Ben's got some friends at the porn shop. <laughs> P-O-R-N shop, that is. <laughs> uh, but please do subscribe. This is to our listeners, not just... I mean, Alicia Silverson, you can subscribe too. You're one of our listeners, of course. Uh, iTunes, we're on there. Just search for the Oz Network. Of course, Stitcher. Or if you don't use either of those, just find our RSS feed on our website and you can subscribe there. We would love to hear your feedback. Please leave us a rating anywhere between one and five. I'm, I reckon we're on about a three at the moment, just as a word of advice. Perhaps give us a three out of five. That's fair, don't you think? I mean, you know, not giving ourselves a big We just spent two and a half hours on Blast from the Past. <laughs> we're a three at best. <laughs> Definitely a three. Uh, so leave us a rating as well. Catherine, I'm so sad that you haven't rated us yet on iTunes. What is going on there? Where are you? Catherine. What is going on, Catherine? Seriously, are you like anti-Brendan Fraser? That is not cool, man. No one is anti-Brendan Fraser. <laughs> um, Anti-Alicia Silverstone? Well, look, you come around. That's Colin. But, like, you know, no one is anti-Brendan Fraser. Uh, but also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and our website is available at theoznetwork.net, and email as well, theoznetwork at hotmail. Dot com. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. A lot more fun than I was expecting, so I'm glad. But my name is Ben, and oh boy, the end! And my name is Colin, and stop the podcast! Stop the podcast! Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.